Hi. Let's talk about this Lizzo drama. All right, so if you don't know, three of Lizzo's former dancers have filed a lawsuit against her, her touring company, Big Girl Touring, as well as her creative director, Shirlene Quigley. I guess I should maybe issue a content warning going forward. Some of this stuff is gonna get a little weird. There's gonna be discussions on like, you know, weight and dieting and fat phobia, etc. Not like super in-depth discussions, but it'll be there. Uh, but then more than that, there's gonna be discussions about sexual harassment and also just sex in general. So if that's something you're not super comfy, then this might not be the episode for you. But I have a feeling that if you have already listened to my podcast before, you have a stomach for it already. Because I don't think this is any worse than the Johnny Depp Amber Heard stuff. But it is definitely weird, so just be warned about that. I've wanted to talk about this since it came out like a couple weeks ago, but I was very deep into my editing for the Johnny Depp Amber Heard video. And then also, even after I put that video up, I've been uploading more like shorts and stuff on my YouTube channel, so I've been a little distracted. But I think that was kind of a good thing in a way because more has come out since then so now I can do something a little bit more comprehensive but I wouldn't say I've gone like as deep into this as I maybe would have liked to like there's still a few things that I would like to get more clarity on that maybe I'll do some more research and talk about it at some other point but I do feel like a lot of other people who are discussing this whole issue haven't done like a super good amount of research into it or have just talked about it in a kind of shallow way because I read this lawsuit and there's a lot of stuff that I just feel like other people aren't talking about as much that I think is kind of a bigger deal than the things that people are talking about. Whatever, we'll, we'll get into it as we go. But I was super interested in this story from the start because I have a very very passionate interest in pop stars and in the business of pop stars. On my phone, I have like a note on my like notes app that's just a list of possible future episodes for this podcast or possible future videos from my YouTube channel or whatever. And one of the things on it is eventually someday I want to rank or put into some sort of like tier list different pop star documentaries. And this case does kind of involve some documentaries. It involves, I mean, the the lawsuit that we're mostly talking about here revolves a little bit around a reality show that Lizzo did last year. And then some of the surrounding drama that's kind of come out since then also involves this HBO documentary that she did. And then the other thing on that Notes app list is I want to eventually do an episode about like the assistants or the other employees of pop stars or maybe even just like general celebrities. Because there are a lot of stars who have been sued by former employees and I find that a lot of those lawsuits or a lot of those just stories about different experiences that people have had working with these celebrities they can be pretty illuminating for either what these celebrities are like themselves or what their teams operate like or the kind of more exploitative people that are around them because you know some of the some of the conflicts are maybe less legit than others because 
there are people who want to take advantage of someone not wanting to get bad press and stuff. So that's always kind of interesting. But then a lot of a lot of the stories from people's former assistants and employees and such are probably true because celebrities are just kind of like nightmares to work with, it seems. And that makes a lot of sense because they have a lot of power and privilege that you get to a certain point and no one wants to check you on your bullshit anymore. So, you know, they're going to kind of turn into assholes. And the entertainment industry as a whole is so rife with corruption, mostly because there's a lot of like mutual exploitation that goes on within it. So much of one's success in the industry really just comes down to networking and who you know. So a lot of people who work directly for like huge, huge celebrities aren't usually being paid a super competitive rate to compensate for their labor because part of their pay is in their exposure to the industry. They get into those roles because they want to be around people who work in the industry. And that's something that those celebrities know. And that makes it easier for them to pay and treat those employees like shit because it's kind of like a college internship or something where you might not even be paid for your internship in actual money even though you're doing the labor of someone who maybe works for whatever company or entity you're interning for. But you're being paid in experience and opportunity and clout. Now, I mentioned earlier that there were a few things I would have liked to do a little bit more research into in relation to this Lizzo case. One of the really big ones is I want to go more into, like, the experience of the average backup dancer for someone as big as Lizzo. And it's kind of hard to do research like that because, number one, very, very few people get the opportunity to dance with someone who's as famous and successful as Lizzo. So the pool of people who would even have that experience is relatively small. And then in addition to that, anyone who is as famous as Lizzo is probably going to have all or most of their employees sign NDAs. So it's not something that I think a lot of people are really going to come on record and talk about super easily unless it's through like a lawsuit like this. But there is a lot in this lawsuit that just makes me wonder how prevalent some of these problems are within the dancing community. And so while I was trying to do that research, even though I didn't get as far as I would have liked to, I did find a really interesting BBC article written about this lawsuit that I'll link in the show notes. And one thing that the article brought up that I think is really important to keep in mind is the passion gap, as they call it, that exists in these sorts of jobs and roles in the industry. And so the passion gap just refers to the gap between what someone would normally find acceptable in a job and what they are willing to put up with for the opportunity to get more fulfilling creative work somewhere else down the line. And because so many people would kill for that opportunity to work in entertainment to any degree, employers don't really need to offer competitive pay or benefits because everyone is so replaceable. So I'm going to be criticizing Lizzo a lot throughout this episode, but keep in mind this is definitely not a Lizzo-specific problem. 
Even just in relation to backup dancers specifically, other pop stars have had some very similar issues, like uh, three of Madonna's former dancers sued her over her Truth or Dare documentary for an invasion of privacy, fraud, and infliction of emotional distress. That's not that dissimilar from one of the lawsuits that I'm going to talk about today in regards to Lizzo. And if you watch that Truth or Dare documentary, there is an uncomfortable way that Madonna sometimes interacts with her her employees that is arguably just straight-up sexual harassment. And then Cher also was sued by three dancers who alleged that she covered up a sexual assault committed by another one of her dancers. And then there's also just sillier stuff, too, like... According to Heather Morris, who played Brittany in Glee, and who is also a professional dancer, she was literally a backup dancer for Beyonce at one point, which, by the way, this is another complete side tangent, but why was she able to go on Dancing with the Stars? That does not seem fair. Whatever. She at one point auditioned to be a part of JLo's dancing crew, and she said that when she went to the audition, at one point the auditioning dancers were asked what their, like, star sign was, and JLo had all of the Virgos dismissed. I don't know how the fuck that's even legal. I guess Virgos aren't, like, a protected minority or something, so maybe there's no way for anyone in that position to sue for discrimination, but it just doesn't, that doesn't seem right. You shouldn't be able to do that. But apparently she did, and I think the difference in the backlash Lizzo is getting right now versus someone like Jennifer Lopez or Madonna or even Cher is that even though there is plenty of evidence that those other stars have treated their own dancers not great, they don't have the same kind of branding that Lizzo has, which is so enmeshed in, like, positive vibes and what you would assume to be kindness. Like, I'm not really surprised that Madonna and JLo are kind of assholes sometimes because they're already somewhat known as divas. It doesn't change the way that I view them at all. Whereas with Lizzo, this scandal is such a huge blow to her branding. Which I'll talk more about in a minute, but I did want to do some research on the industry standards for dancers, and I don't know, you know, looking up this lawsuit and the people who have done reactions and stuff to it, obviously there's a lot of, like, law tubers who have given their takes on this because it involves a lawsuit, and despite my misgivings toward many law tubers, especially now... There definitely are aspects to this that, like, I think someone who has intimate knowledge in this sort of lawsuit and this sort of employment dispute that they can add to this conversation. So I'm sure that there are law tubers out there who are who are doing great, great work on this case. But the people that I really want to hear from that I, I haven't been able to find anywhere, I really want to hear from people who, like I said earlier, worked as backup dancers or at least worked on a production for tours like Lizzo's, someone who has some sort of insight into how normal or abnormal the claims in this lawsuit are based on their experience in similar environments. So if you know of anyone who's worked on a big production tour like Lizzo's, who's 
offered any sort of commentary on this case, please point them in my direction. I would love to watch content about that. But the little research I did into the experience of, like, the average touring dancer led me to this mentalfloss.com article called 11 Secrets of Backup Dancers, where I learned that apparently the average pay for a backup dancer is really bad. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, backup dancers make roughly like $14 an hour or $34,000 a year on average. Now, again, I don't really know if that's people who are at the kind of level that maybe Lizzo's backup dancers would be. I would find it doubtful that people working for an act as big as, like, Lizzo or Lady Gaga or Taylor Swift or anyone of that kind of success would be being paid 14 an hour, but I just don't know. I'm assuming they're being paid more than that, but how much more? I have no fucking clue. What is important to note, though, that this Mental Floss article points out is that dancers are usually independent contractors, so they work when they're able, they do a lot of auditioning, and they just sort of do gigs. They don't have a steady stream of income. They just, they do tours, they do music videos, they maybe do plays or movies and stuff like that when it comes along, but opportunities come and go. So a big problem in that field is not just landing jobs, but also landing jobs at the right time. Because even if you kind of have an in with a certain artist, like as a longtime little monster, there are dancers who have worked with Gaga for a long time that I can recognize because they have continuously worked with her throughout her career. But even those dancers don't have great job security because they're not ever gonna really know when an artist like Gaga is going to be touring. That's how the whole thing between Taylor Swift and Katy Perry even got started. According to Katy, she had some backup dancers who, while Katy wasn't touring, got an opportunity to go work with Taylor. They asked Katy if it was okay with her that they went with Taylor for a little bit, and then she said, sure, but I might be touring soon, so just make sure you put in a contingency clause in your contract that when I do start touring, you're gonna exit Taylor's tour and you're gonna come back to me. And then that eventually happened, and Taylor saw that as a betrayal and thought that Katy was trying to sabotage her tour. And then they had a years-long feud. And now back to that BBC article, there were some findings from the Hollywood Commission in 2019 where they did a survey of just under like 9,000 workers in the entertainment industry and found that 41% of the respondents to the survey said that they wouldn't report gender harassment or sexual harassment at work because they feared retaliation. And that's one of the many, many reasons that unions in Hollywood are so important. A lot of the power structures that exist in that industry are just sort of built to intimidate people. Which then kind of leads to the question, are there unions for backup dancers? And the answer that I have found is yes, but it doesn't seem like the membership in a union is as common for dancers in Hollywood as it is for, like, writers and actors and whatnot. And these unions also seem to be a fairly new thing in the industry. 
So there's this organization called Dancers Alliance, which in 2011 fought to get dancers signed under SAG-AFTRA union contracts for music videos. And not just music videos, I don't think, but just like film and TV video stuff in general. If you're dancing on film, you should get the same kind of contracts that a SAG-AFTRA union member would be getting. So you would be in a better position to negotiate your rates, you would have more healthcare options, and it also would just help ensure your safety on set. And so from what I can tell, Dancers Alliance was pretty successful in getting these contracts for dancers, but also, again, this was like 2011, so I do think that that should be put into perspective that only like a little over 10 years ago did these conversations even really start happening. Whereas SAG and AFTRA, before they merged in 2012, they used to be separate unions, but both of those unions were founded in like the 30s. And then in 2013, Dancers Alliance started to fight to get dancers signed under SAG-AFTRA contracts while touring as well. So the 2011 thing was just for like video shoots. And now 2013, they're starting to focus on tours. And now I don't often speak about this man in the most glowing of terms. However, I will give credit where credit is due. In 2014, the first artist to protect his backup dancers under a SAG-AFTRA contract was Justin Timberlake. So good job, Justin. However, the really frustrating thing about this research was that I really can't tell how widespread the success of these unionization efforts have been for dancers. I found a fair amount of articles written about this topic from like 2013-2014 when Dancers Alliance and Justin Timberlake were making these moves, but after that I really can't find that much information about it, so I don't know how, how many other artists have had these contracts with their dancers after Justin. Like, did this become basically the norm, or was this something really singular to one artist. I truthfully have no idea. But so that's all stuff that I still have questions about. Let's move on to some background on Lizzo. So again, Lizzo is not the only person who has been accused of enabling or participating in poor working conditions for her dancers or other people on her crew or staff, but Lizzo's persona definitely differentiates her from people like Madonna or JLo who you don't necessarily expect to be the most kind to their staff. I mean, you sort of hope that they are nice, but there's enough reports about them being kind of divas that it's like, all right, I guess. I mean, there's worse things JLo could be doing than dismissing the Virgos who audition for her. Though I do think that some astrology people just take that shit way too fucking far, and I'm sick of it. Still, in comparison to what a lot of other people get away with in the industry, it's small potatoes. But a lot of the reason Lizzo is getting this public backlash is because up until this point, her public persona is about as unproblematic as they come. She's always promoted messages about, like, body positivity and confidence and loving yourself and being kind to yourself, being kind to others. And there are plenty of situations that Lizzo has been in where she's 
done the right thing pretty publicly. Like, there was one time that a, a paparazzo was asking her about Demi Lovato, and then the paparazzo used the wrong pronouns, and Lizzo corrected him. So we love that. And then there was another time where she and Beyonce both around the same time had uh, an ableist slur in one of their songs. It's a slur that I think a lot of people don't realize is offensive. So it was a controversy that Lizzo probably could have gotten away with ignoring, but she did remove the word from that song after it came out, which again, that's a nice thing to do. So those are just small examples, but they do point to Lizzo having some sort of moral integrity, and we love moral integrity. That's not to say that there haven't been controversies throughout her career. Some of them, a lot of them in my opinion, are less valid than others. Like, a lot of people truly just don't like her because of her size. And the fact that she advocates body positivity, especially for bigger girls, I mean, her, her touring company is called Big Girl Touring, it's something that she embraces, which makes a lot of people upset. She's also been criticized for quote-unquote toxic positivity. A lot of people think her music is just too happy and too joyous, and it doesn't really reflect, like, true, raw, vulnerable emotions and the negativity that every person experiences. And while personally, I do think that that's kind of one of the reasons that I've never been super, super into Lizzo's music. I do like some of her songs, especially, you know, the songs that get really big, but I've never really gone that deep into her discography because I'm not the biggest fan of, like, big anthemic songs like that. I think they're fine in moderation, but I do like stuff that has a little bit more of an edge, so Lizzo's music was never something that I was going to completely stan, but I definitely don't think that that's a reason to dismiss her or her work. I think it's just not really for me. I prefer stuff that's a little bit more confessional than empowerment-driven or message-driven, but... That doesn't mean that Lizzo's music is bad, and that doesn't mean that she has to make stuff that is more accustomed to my taste. There's plenty of room in the music industry for someone who just makes really joyous pop music. But along with the criticism of her promoting toxic positivity or whatever, there's also a criticism of her being a black woman who's mostly making music for white people or maybe not intentionally making music for white people, but making music that mostly appeals to white people. And, to be honest, every person that I've ever met who says that they stan Lizzo has been a white woman. Now that's purely anecdotal. I don't know the demographics of her entire audience. There was a point when I was watching her HBO documentary where I kept looking at the audience when they would they would move to shots of it from like her concerts and I was like, that is a lot of white people. But oh well, I think the whole criticism that she's like not black enough is pretty reductive to her personhood and also just kind of stigmatizing for black artists in general because everyone is an individual and not under any obligation to appeal dominantly to the demographics that they identify with. And it's not like Lizzo doesn't talk about issues related to race or doesn't talk about her experiences as a black woman. So yeah, her music is pretty commercial. 
But within that very commercial music, there are messages of specifically black female empowerment. So, you know, I, I, I just don't think that the argument that her work is too approachable for white people is a very fair critique of her as an artist. Now, whether or not she privately upholds some of the messages that she talks about publicly is a separate conversation that we'll get to with this lawsuit. But prior to this lawsuit, I always thought the whole Lizzo isn't black enough thing is just unnecessarily limiting to her as an artist and as a person. So those criticisms have been out there, and then there was also like a lawsuit for her song Truth Hurts over some songwriting credit. I don't know a whole lot about that dispute because I just, I don't really pay much attention to songwriting credit conflicts because there's always stuff like that happening in the music industry, and a lot of it is people... It just, it's complicated, and if I was gonna, like, hold everyone to the flame for having some sort of songwriting or plagiarism controversy, then it's like, I would, I wouldn't have anyone else left to stand. But then there are some other controversies that she's been involved in that are maybe a little bit more relevant to this current issue. For example, in 2019, she put her Postmates delivery driver on blast pretty unnecessarily on Twitter. She tweeted, Hey, Postmates, this girl Tiffany W. stole my food. She lucky I don't fight no more. And then alongside that was a screenshot of her, like, Postmates delivery thing with Tiffany W.'s face just very prominent in the shot. Like, it was so irresponsible and so mean as someone with a pretty big following to just put a fucking Postmates delivery driver on blast to your, like, millions of fans who are going to be upset on your behalf over a fucking food delivery. And Tiffany W., for the record, did come forward and say that she tried to deliver Lizzo's food, but she wasn't able to contact her. She tried calling her multiple times. She didn't answer. And it is Postmates policy that if they don't answer, you just leave after five minutes. So according to Tiffany, she did not steal Lizzo's food. But even if she did, like, it's rude and it's fucked up, but if you're a Postmates delivery driver, you're probably not making a whole lot of money. And you know what? Food is necessary for survival. So yeah, don't steal a customer's food if you're a delivery driver. But if a delivery driver does steal someone's food, I'm not gonna assume it's just because they're a bad person. They might just be fucking hungry and they don't have the kind of money that Lizzo has. So that was a fucked up situation. Lizzo later tweeted, I apologize for putting that girl on blast. I understand I have a large following and that there were so many variables that could have put her in danger. I'ma really be more responsible with my use of social media and check my petty and pride at the door. And for me, I was kind of like, all right. I mean, I definitely don't agree with what Lizzo did initially, but also this was in 2019 when she was still kind of coming up. This was a little bit after Truth Hurt started to really blow up on TikTok and stuff. So she hadn't been a really big celebrity for that long. And I was like, okay, I kind of get that 
you know, a couple years ago, she probably could have tweeted, oh my god, this fucking Postmates delivery driver stole my food, fuck that bitch, and it would be no big deal. No one would care, no one would even see it, it's just her, like, letting off steam or whatever, and now it's different because she has a following. Like, I get that maybe that just wasn't something that she thought of. So, okay, fine. It was irresponsible, but not something super damning, not something that she couldn't come back from. But for right now, let's put a pin in that thing that Lizzo said in her first tweet, the she lucky I don't fight no more. We'll come back to that later. Then there was another controversy where she was seen on video hugging Chris Brown and calling him her favorite person. And that's gross. Obviously, there's the whole him assaulting Rihanna, his girlfriend at the time, in like, what was it, 2007, 2008? That whole thing, which should definitely not be dismissed because it was really bad. Like, I'm not gonna go into the details of it right now, but he like pretty brutally beat her. And then has since given some statements where it seems like he kind of blames her for it. And then there was the whole thing on, like, Good Morning America a couple years later where he was asked about the incident, and then he, like, didn't really answer the question. He just kept promoting his album, and then when the interview was over, he, like, stormed off set and then trashed his dressing room. And then there were, like, photos of him leaving the studio without a shirt on, which was just, like, weird. And that's the thing for me with Chris Brown is, like, it's not even just what he did in that moment with Rihanna. It's the fact that he refuses to really take full responsibility for it after the fact. Because you can't just expect to not get asked about it ever again and then throw a fucking tantrum when someone on Good Morning America mentions it. You're not making a great case for yourself being a changed, nonviolent person when you go and trash a dressing room because someone asked you a question you didn't like. Like, it's it's so ridiculous. This idea that he's grown from that incident is so fucking stupid to me. No, he hasn't. And then he's been involved in, like, a fuck ton of other violent confrontations and other allegations of assaults against women. So it's it's so ridiculous to me the amount of praise that Chris Brown still gets from people, especially when, like, we, as a society, can definitely live without Chris Brown's music. This isn't even a separate the art from the artist kind of situation for me, because the art isn't that good. It's fine. I mean, I'm not saying he's not talented, but is there a piece of work from Chris Brown that's, like, essential to pop culture? No. It's like how I barely heard anyone talk about Tory Lane's music before he shot Megan the Stallion, but then after he shot a woman, suddenly my entire Twitter feed was full of people being like, oh, but he makes really good work, like maybe we should give the guy a chance, or maybe we should just put that aside and just appreciate him as an artist. It's like you weren't appreciating him as an artist like a year ago, but whatever. So Lizzo praising Chris Brown and calling him her favorite person publicly, it's confusing and it's gross, but uh, okay. And then there was the controversy surrounding her outfit at a Lakers game. She wore this, like, black dress that had kind of a cutout around her butt, and then she was wearing, like, a thong, so pretty much her, her whole butt was just, like, out. And then she was at the game, like, twerking and stuff. And so a lot of people had problems with that. And there was a lot of debate around the time about, like, 
would people be upset about this if it were a thin woman who was twerking with her butt out at a Lakers game? And I saw some people saying, like, no one would care. And I definitely don't think that that's true. I think that less people would care and it would have been less big of a deal if it had been someone whose body was more aligned with conventional beauty norms. But I definitely don't think that no one would have had a problem with it. Because ultimately, her ass was out in a public place and she was twerking in a space that had children and stuff there. And I know that there's whole conversations about, like, how we talk about twerking, and especially because it's seen as a dance that Black women specifically do, that it's over-sexualized, and that it's stigmatized as trashy. And I totally get all those arguments, and I'm not against twerking in the slightest. I love it. I wish I could do it, but I can't. But trust me, I love asses. I think anything you do to shake an ass is fine. Love that. But I don't think we can deny that it is a sexual-ish thing to do. Like, it is a suggestive dance move. You are shaking your ass. There is a time and a place for it. And is that time and place a Lakers game? I don't know. I mean, I can definitely say that some of the dance moves that the Lakers cheerleaders do is also kind of suggestive, so... It's not like that environment is totally free of sexual expression. Does it maybe elevate it when Lizzo's ass is just pretty much naked? Yeah, maybe. So this was just a situation where I was like, I get why some people would be upset about this. Like, if you were at the Lakers game with your kids, and then you see a pop star there who is shaking her pretty much naked ass in front of you, like... I understand why people might be uncomfortable with that. At the same time, I don't think that it's going to be super traumatic for anyone there. I, I don't know. To me, I was like, I don't personally have a problem with the twerking, but I also, I'm not going to completely dismiss people who were upset by it. But even though to me this was a pretty minor scandal, it is maybe, looking back, kind of an indicator of Lizzo expressing her sexuality publicly in ways that isn't the most considerate of other people's comfort. And that will become a bigger issue as we go on. Alongside that, Lizzo has apparently talked about other public figures in public in ways that are a bit uncomfy. I didn't know anything about this stuff prior to this scandal, but it, it is resurfaced since this lawsuit has been filed against her, and I, I do find some of the ways that she's talked about people a little troubling. So this is Lizzo talking about the boy band BTS. If I could collaborate with BTS, I mean, that sounds fun. I don't know if I can make it through the studio session without having sex with all of them. I'm just kidding. God, that was a terrible thing to say. I'm sorry, Mom. Is this BTS? Oh my God. Wait, keep playing. I've never heard a BTS song. This is, me, this is making me excited in a lot of weird ways. They, that was sexy. That was sexual. Actually, let's say it was sexual. Okay, y'all can turn this off. I might get pregnant. That's a bit ugh. But then to me, the even more like weird thing that apparently has been happening that other people were praising her for for a while 
is Lizzo was had this weird kind of one-sided thing with Chris Evans for a while. So I guess it started with Chris, quote, tweeting this video of a girl dancing to Juice, Lizzo's song. And he he just tweeted something nice about, like, how cute the video was. And then Lizzo replied and said, marry me. Okay, not, not too bad. That's kind of cute. She's got a little crush on Chris Evans. Who of us doesn't? Then later, she she posted something on TikTok of, like, a screenshot of a DM that she sent Chris at one point. It was just some emojis of, like... Something that implied that she was, like, shooting her shot, you know what I mean? She's sliding in the DMs, and she's trying to, you know, see if Chris might be interested. Fair. Kinda weird to post the screenshot of the DM, but okay, fine, whatever. She posts it in this TikTok saying something about, like, don't drink in DM or something like that. Something to imply that it was a drunk DM. And so then, Chris responded to her and he said, no shame in a drunk DM. God knows I've done worse on this app. So this was, um, I guess she was DMing him through Instagram. If you didn't know, Chris once accidentally posted a photo of his penis. It was a whole thing. And I do, I feel bad for him, but also like he, he was the one that posted the photo. So, you know, sorry, Chris. But so Lizzo responded to that message and said, well, they say you miss 100% of the shots you never take. And then she put in parentheses, and even though I unsent it like a dork, I'm glad you know I exist now. To which Chris responded, of course I do, I'm a fan, keep up the good work. So that's like a pretty innocent exchange. We only know about the exchange because Lizzo posted it on TikTok again, which I don't get why she keeps posting these DMs. Like, just leave the man alone. And the thing about this is like, Chris is being very polite, but he's not leaning into it at all. He's just saying like, oh, no, no shame in the drunk DM. It's fine. He's just kind of dismissing it. Like, no big deal. Let's move past it. And then he, he tells her that he's a fan, but he doesn't flirt with her at all. He's not leaning into the whole flirtation thing, whether it's a joke or whether it's not. He's just being nice. So then Lizzo makes a TikTok where she jokes about being pregnant with his baby. And this is where we start moving into a territory where I'm like, Ugh, this is getting a little weird. He's He's pretty much politely turned you down, and I know that it is mostly just a joke and just kind of like some celebrity banter or whatever, but also, like, it is sexual in nature, and the dude hasn't expressed any sort of sexual interest in you, so it's getting a little weird. But then Chris responds, again, like, privately in a DM. He says, hi, just heard about our little bundle of joy. My mother will be so happy, lol. Just promise me no gender reveal parties, lol. And again, just a polite response. He's taking it in good humor, and he's not really leaning in at all. Especially considering he wrote these in DMs. He's not posting them on social media. He's not really publicly interacting with this thing that she's doing. She just keeps making it public because she keeps sharing the DMs. It's a little weird. And then at one point, I guess she asked him, because I, I guess he plays the piano a little bit, she asked him to play piano on her album, 
which <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like a cute idea, but it's like you don't you don't know that man and he kind of plays piano, but he doesn't play piano super well. Like there's no reason for him to be playing piano on your album other than you just want to work with him. You want to be in his presence, which, okay, cool. Yeah, he seems like a nice guy, but I don't know. It just, it doesn't seem very professional to me. It seems like a weird kind of ploy to get him to hang out with her. And that's a little bit weird for me when she's already so publicly expressed a sexual attraction to him that he is pretty graciously turned down a few times at this point. And then he turns down that too and says, no, I'm not really that good of a piano player, but thanks for the offer. And then she did an interview with Andy Cohen where he brings up Chris Evans and she says this. We have plans, well, we don't have plans, but he did say he would come to a show. Nice. And I, I was like, okay, shots on me. And he said, no, shots on me. So here's my scenario. He's naked in the green room and he has body shots all on his chest. And I walk in and I slowly just suck them off. <laughs> okay, sorry, next question. And I just, I don't get how people were like, yay, this is so funny. Like, it's not, it's not funny. It is at this point just sexual harassment. And you know, men aren't as sexually objectified and dehumanized as much as women are, especially in the public eye, you know, like public figures. So I kind of get how maybe this wouldn't occur to her as something that was super inappropriate to say and super not okay to say. I, I, I get how she could overlook it and not think of it as something harmful to Chris. So if I had been aware of this stuff while it was going on, I might have been a little bit ugh about it. I don't think that I would have necessarily thought like, oh, she's a shitty, weird person. But all of this kind of getting added together, especially with this current lawsuit, it it for sure paints a picture of someone who's just not very considerate to other people's boundaries. And that's not a great quality in a boss. So let's talk about this lawsuit. So as I said, three former dancers who are suing Lizzo, Big Girl Touring, and Lizzo's creative director, Shirlene Quigley. The dancers in question are Crystal Williams, Ariana Davis, and Noelle Rodriguez. There are multiple complaints made in the lawsuit. Not all of them are directed specifically at Lizzo. Some of them are directed at the touring company and some of them are directed at Shirlene. But here's all the things being claimed in the lawsuit. Hostile work environment, sexual harassment. Failure to prevent and or remedy hostile work environment, sexual harassment. Religious harassment. Failure to prevent and or remedy religious harassment. Racial harassment disability discrimination, intentional interference with prospective economic advantage, assault, and false imprisonment. So hefty suit here. I'm going to start by talking about two of the plaintiffs. So Ariana Davis and Crystal Williams were both contestants in the reality competition show Watch Out for the Big Girls, which was a show that came out last year on Amazon Prime. I don't know if I knew about this show when it was out. I maybe heard about it, but I definitely didn't ever watch it because 
who watches things on Amazon Prime. But the conceit for the show is that these dancers, all of whom are bigger girls, and most of whom don't have very much experience in the professional dancing world because it's just a lot harder for bigger girls than it is for smaller girls to get as many opportunities in the industry. So they're competing for a spot on Lizzo's stage for her Bonnaroo performance. So like I said, I didn't really pay any attention to the show when it came out last year, but apparently it was pretty highly praised, it won multiple Emmys, and it was generally thought of as a good show. Now, it's absolutely possible that because I watched this show after reading this lawsuit, that it, it colored the way that I watched it a little bit and made me not as charitable to it as I maybe would have been had I watched it last year when it came out. But I could not even fucking finish this thing. It's eight episodes long, about 45 minutes per episode, so it's not even that long. But I think I maybe got to episode six and was like, I just, I just can't do it anymore. And it's not even that it's excruciatingly bad. There's definitely some some things in here that I have concerns about, but it's truly just fucking boring. A lot of the praise that the show got was on how it kind of spotlighted some specific issues in the dancing world, specifically the issue of like plus-sized dancers. I don't really love the term plus-sized, but I don't know what other term we're really going with. I guess I'll just stick with big girls for now. So there is some discussion about the fat phobia that these bigger girls deal with in the industry and in society and in some of their like internalized fat phobia. And on one hand, I don't really think it goes deep enough into the issue. And I think that the format of it is just not super effective for dealing with this in a super deep way. Like, because these women are competing to become Lizzo's dancers, and they don't have extensive experience in the dancing industry, it just, it's like, what is there really to say about their experiences within that industry? You know what I mean? Like, I totally get how when they're talking about how much harder it is for them to even like get jobs or get opportunities in the first place and the stigma that gets put on them, like that's all important and that all matters and that's worth discussing. But at the same time, for an eight episode series, I would also want to hear more from people who do have extensive experience, who have been more actively involved in the entertainment industry and might have a lot more specific stories to tell. Because there are a lot of little small things that someone who's been working for a long time would have that they could talk about that an audience like me might not even really consider because I've never dealt with those same problems. Like, I definitely would assume that being a bigger girl would make it harder to get jobs and make it harder to get taken seriously and make it harder to have your work appreciated. Like, I get that because I know broadly how fat phobia works. But there are probably smaller microaggressions that someone who's been working in the industry for a while has come up against that I would have never considered. So for me, they're just, with this batch of women specifically, there wasn't enough material for eight episodes of this. 
because most of what you hear about in the show is just like struggles these women have had with their body weight in general and like problems with eating disorders and just how fat phobia affects their self-esteem and confidence. Like they're mostly really internal reveals, like just about how they feel about themselves as bigger girls. And so while I don't think the show goes deep enough into how fat phobia affects people in the industry at like an institutional level, on the other hand, I think it goes way too deep into these women's inner lives. I don't really think that it's fair to expect these contestants to be this vulnerable about their inner thoughts and their anxieties and their insecurities while they are trying to earn a job. I'll talk about it more in a second, but there is at some point in the show a nude photo shoot that does get brought up in the lawsuit, but one of the girls is, she's just not comfortable being naked, and she says at one point that she can be naked emotionally, mentally, just not physically. And I found that quote so troubling because why are you being expected to be naked at all, whether it's physically, emotionally, or mentally? You're trying to get a job as a dancer. That shouldn't require you to open up about your deepest, most inner thoughts. So I found the confessional nature of the format just kind of frustrating and icky. There are some other issues that are brought up very briefly, like there's a trans dancer who occasionally mentions her experience being a trans woman, but that's never explored to a whole lot of depth. A lot of the contestants are women of color, especially black women, and there's some mentions of that and some mentions of racism, like during the nude photo shoot, one of the contestants mentioned uh, getting to wear her natural hair, so there's there's some references to issues of race, but again, really not explored in depth. And even when it is being explored, it's almost brought up as an opportunity to praise Lizzo and her team. Like, wow, look at the opportunities that Lizzo is creating for women who otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity. She's letting people wear their natural hair, and she's got these bigger girls, and some of them are trans. Like, it, it feels like a kind of calculated move to make Lizzo look super inclusive and accepting. And I'm not even going to say that she isn't those things. I mean, some, some other people at this point have said that, including people that know her way more intimately than I do. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. But still, the way that it's presented on the show is just a little too fluffy for me in terms of what it is representing of Lizzo's brand. It kind of puts her in a position to be viewed as like a savior for women who have been marginalized in various ways. And that's something that I always look for in any sort of pop star documentary. And this isn't really a documentary, but it's a reality show. And it's kind of similar where one of the things that I really, really don't like that happens in pretty much every pop star documentary is I don't like it when things feel like fluff and when they feel like puff pieces. 
when it feels like a documentary exists just to glorify the subject without offering any sort of new perspective on them or showing some real vulnerability. And in this case, because Lizzo isn't necessarily the subject of the documentary or the reality series, it's these, these dancers, the onus to be vulnerable is completely on them. So not only do I find it frustrating in how it hypes up Lizzo as a public figure, I also find it to be pretty exploitative. There is just sort of an inherent problem with having members of your, your crew, your like professional dance team, audition via a reality show where they are going to be pressured into being more vulnerable on camera than they necessarily want to be because they want an opportunity to dance with you. So it's brought up in the lawsuit that Ariana and Crystal were required by Lizzo and BGBT to submit a psychological examination to ensure that they were psychologically healthy enough to endure the strain of filming the TV show, which, as I understand, is a fairly common practice in reality TV at this point. You usually do have to complete some sort of psyche eval to make sure that you're not, like, super unstable before they put you in front of a camera. But the lawsuit also states... Prior to undergoing the examination, the contestants had to fill out this waiver of privilege of confidentiality and consent to evaluation form, which stated that the information disclosed during the evaluation may be provided to production, its representatives, and or any other individuals or entities involved in the show as deemed appropriate by the doctor performing the evaluation or by production. And this was brought up to say that Ariana Davis is pretty sure that Lizzo has been able to access and has accessed details from her psych evaluation. So these women went onto this show trying to get an opportunity to dance with a very, very successful and famous musician that they most likely had a lot of admiration for. So they very, very much want to be hired as one of Lizzo's dancers. And so in order to move forward as a part of this reality series, they had to sign a waiver that said that Lizzo, their potential future boss, could be able to access very private information about their mental health. So just already, there is a very huge structural problem here where Lizzo has a lot, a lot of leverage over these women. And while it is important to point out the fact that these bigger girls often don't get the kinds of opportunities that smaller girls in the dancing world would get. The way that that point is highlighted so repetitively in the show is not only boring and makes it incredibly one note, it also, whether intentional or not, functions pretty much to remind these dancers how disadvantaged they are in the industry. Like, if you want to have a career as a professional dancer, you better do what Lizzo says, because she's kind of the only one giving you the opportunity. That is what a lot of this show feels like to me. It's like the passion gap on steroids, because not only do these people want opportunities in an industry that a lot of people would fucking kill to work in, because of the way they look, their opportunities are inherently more limited. So a lot of the show is pretty icky to me. Now, Ariana and Crystal were both in the Watch Out for the Big Girls show, 
But Crystal isn't in it a whole lot because she actually very early on gets like bumped up past the audition stage. Like, I don't remember what episode it's in. It might be episode one, but Lizzo decides pretty, pretty early, Crystal, you're going to be on my Bonnaroo stage. You don't need to do all this shit. So a lot of the complaints about the TV show in particular are really just specific to Ariana. So here's one of the things that she had to deal with. It says, as one of the contestants in WOFTBG, contestants were told that they would be required to participate in a nude photo shoot. While some contestants were not bothered by this, the prospect of a nude photo shoot made other contestants severely uncomfortable. Ms. Davis was particularly distressed by this challenge. She was entirely uncomfortable being photographed nude for anyone with access to Amazon Prime Video to see. As this challenge was a part of the competition, Ms. Davis believed poor performance or outright refusal would have resulted in Ms. Davis being sent home from the show and no longer being considered for a spot on the dance team. This dilemma caused Ms. Davis's anxiety to flare, resulting in extreme distress. Ms. Davis broke down in tears on set while struggling to choose between a once-in-a-lifetime career opportunity and putting her body on display against her will. Ultimately, Ms. Davis was allowed to participate in the nude photo shoot partially clothed in a nude bra and underwear. However, this experience foreshadowed the sexually charged and uncomfortable environment Lizzo's employees would be forced to endure. So there is kind of like an America's Next Top Model style challenge thing to this show. It's definitely not as like cruel as America's Next Top Model. And no one was asked to do blackface in the episodes that I watched. So, you know, it's an improvement. But it's similar in the way that like, if you watched America's Next Top Model, the models were often made to do things where it's like, I just don't know that that's super relevant to the job they're trying to get. Like, they're trying to be models. They're not trying to be, like, stilt performers or something. There are just always challenges where it's like, I really don't think the average model is expected to do that. That seems like a pretty specialized skill that I don't really think it's fair to judge these women on just because they want to model. And there's some stuff like that in this show where one of the challenges was for them to, like, come up with the concept for a music video. And like choreographing a video is one thing, cause like, okay, they're dancers, they should be able to put some little dance thing together, but they're not auditioning to be creative directors. Why do they have to come up with a concept for a music video? That's not a part of their job. It's not like as a part of Lizzo's dance team, they're suddenly gonna be creative leads on her whole career. It just seemed like, I don't know, unnecessary stress to put on these women just because they want to dance on a tour for a living. And then the nude photo shoot is just a worse example of that because why would they need to do that? What does them being comfortable doing a nude photo shoot have to do with their talent as a dancer? The whole thing in the show is like they need to be comfortable with their bodies or something, but that doesn't mean they have to be comfortable being naked in front of a camera. And I don't think that they need to have been put in situations in which they would have felt like they needed to negotiate those kinds of boundaries. Cause yes, Ariana says that she was uncomfortable with the nude photo shoot, but 
What was even kind of worse to me was another contestant who's shown in the show, who's not a part of this lawsuit, but she, I think, was from South Korea. And so she started freaking out about the nude photo shoot because she was like, where I come from culturally, that's just like not okay. Like, I'm going to be judged by this by my own community. And she specifically talked about how her backup career choice was to be a teacher. I think specifically a teacher in South Korea. And she was like, if people find a nude photo of me online, I'm not gonna be able to be a teacher. And yeah, that's like a completely legitimate concern that has nothing to do with whether or not she's confident in her body. Her doing that sort of photo shoot would literally just be disruptive to her life in a way that she shouldn't be pressured to submit to. But she goes along with it, kind of. They do the same thing with Ariana where they they let her have like a nude bra kind of thing so she's not totally naked, but it's still like, she looks naked enough where I'm like, okay, I mean, I, I don't know enough about South Korea or that culture, but the way that she was describing it on the show, like in her confessional, made it seem like this is just like even getting close to that sort of photo shoot, even approaching the idea of doing nude photos was enough to just get her not even like considered for any sort of job like that. And if that's the case then I don't think the photo shoot that she did do is gonna fly. Even if she wasn't made to be completely naked, I think there's a very good chance that that, that shoot will still have an effect on her potential prospects as a teacher in South Korea. Like, and, you know, maybe it won't, but I don't think that's a fair position to put her in in the first place if that's what she believes, if that's her concept of, of her life, that this is gonna, like, actually fuck up her potential jobs in the future. And the closest thing to me is, is after she decides to do it and they're, they're looking at all the photos and they're like, yeah, you look so good. Lizzo asks her about her backup plan again. And she responds, my backup plan is out the window. And then everyone starts like clapping and they're like, yay. Like she doesn't need this backup plan now because she believes in herself. She was confident enough to do a semi-nude photo shoot, so who cares if she ever wanted to be a teacher? Now she can just be a dancer. And that's so fucked up, because it's not like the only thing standing in your way of being a backup dancer for the rest of your life is a lack of belief in yourself or a lack of confidence. Like, what if she gets injured and she can't dance anymore? What if she does get jobs as a dancer, but then she can't support herself because she's getting the piss-poor wages of a dancer? Or it's too hard for her to get jobs consistently? Or maybe she becomes super successful as a dancer, and then she just changes her mind. She decides that she doesn't want to do it anymore. She doesn't like the lifestyles. She doesn't really enjoy it as much as she thought she would. Like, that is absolutely a possibility. And now, if that happens, she doesn't have a fucking backup plan anymore. They've literally just put her in a position in which she is more vulnerable and more desperate to be a part of Lizzo's team. And again, it's just, it's not something that needed to be asked of these women. Because even if the whole point was to confront the contestants' insecurities, you're not gonna, like, exposure therapy your way out of not feeling confident with your body. It's not like you do one nude photo shoot and all the internalized fat phobia just evaporates from your brain. 
And in any case, if the thing that was stopping these women from doing the photo shoot was their insecurities, that's their own fucking business. The only things you need to be concerned about when hiring dancers is like, how well do they perform? Do they at least look confident on stage, no matter how they feel internally? How quickly can they learn choreography? How easy are they to work with? Are they polite? Do they get along with the rest of the team? Are they reliable? Do they show up on time, etc.? Those are all things that affect you and your business. How your dancers feel about themselves internally isn't your business. If you start working with them and you do care about them as a person and you notice that maybe they do have some insecurities that you think you could help them with, then sure, do that. But it shouldn't be a part of their employment. Like, it shouldn't be a job requirement for them to feel any specific way about themselves or their bodies. And then kind of going off that, the lawsuit says... On or about April 21st, 2023, Ms. Davis was called into a private meeting with Lizzo and the choreographer Tanisha Scott. Lizzo and Ms. Scott questioned whether Ms. Davis was struggling with something as she seemed less committed to her role on the dance cast. Lizzo and Ms. Scott pressed Ms. Davis for an explanation why she seemed less bubbly and vivacious than she did prior to the tour starting. So this one I would definitely have more questions about because it says that she was just kind of being chastised here for seeming less bubbly and vivacious, and I don't know if that's directly related to her performance as a dancer. It does say in this complaint that Ms. Davis had also become a better dancer than she was when she was hired, so she's claiming it has nothing to do with her performance as a dancer, but I'm sure that Lizzo and her team will argue that that wasn't the case, that maybe it was affecting the way that she performed on stage. I don't know. But if the meeting was just about her not being bubbly and vivacious privately in her downtime or in the time between shows when she was just like hanging out with Lizzo and the dancers and it had nothing to do with how well she was actually doing her job, then yeah, that's completely fucked. If it were just Lizzo asking her in like a human to human kind of way, like, hey, you seem a little off lately, is everything okay? Then that'd be one thing. But the way that it's worded here about it being a private meeting with Lizzo and the choreographer makes it seem like it has something to do with her job, that she does need to explain her temperament to her employers. And that's just completely inappropriate unless there's some reason to say that her being less bubbly was affecting the other dancers somehow, or maybe, I don't know, we'll see how Lizzo responds to all this once they officially start filing their complaints, but like maybe she'll argue that Ariana Davis was being mean or something. Like, I don't know. I mean, there are reasons that how she's behaving with the other dancers and stuff might affect her employment that are valid, but if it really is just the way that Ariana and her attorney here is portraying events, that she was being chastised for not being bubbly and vivacious, then what the fuck? But it doesn't even stop there, because then the complaint says, In professional dance, a dancer's weight gain is often seen as that dancer getting lazy or worse off as a performer. Lizzo's and Ms. Scott's questions about Ms. Davis's commitment to the tour were thinly veiled concerns about Ms. Davis's weight gain, which Lizzo had previously called attention to after noticing it at South by Southwest. 
Further down, it says, Although Lizzo and Ms. Scott never explicitly stated it, these questions accompanied by Lizzo's statements made after the South by Southwest Music Festival gave Ms. Davis the impression that she needed to explain her weight gain and disclose intimate personal details about her life in order to keep her job. So this part has kind of become one of the biggest talking points around this lawsuit, which is frustrating to me because I definitely think it's the weakest complaint in this lawsuit, at least the way that it's written. And I do understand to a degree why it's become the biggest fixation point for all this, because so much of Lizzo's branding is centered around her kind of body positive messaging in her songs and just the way that she talks in interviews and stuff. And obviously she is a bigger girl herself, so her being kind of fatphobic is, it's, it's just so contrary to everything that she has stood for publicly. But then, off of that, I do think a lot of people who already disliked Lizzo because of her weight have really maliciously latched on to this aspect of the lawsuit just to try to make it seem like Lizzo's body-positive messaging prior was all bullshit. And maybe it was for her. Maybe she never really believed the things that she was saying. I think it's probably still more complicated than that. It probably has a lot to do with Lizzo's own, like, internalized insecurities and such, more than her being just, like, a totally hateful, fatphobic person overall. I don't know, but I don't think that she was, like, actively trying to deceive people while she was writing that music. But any sort of allegation against Lizzo for allegedly being fatphobic is enough for a lot of people who are fatphobic to be like, ha, see? Even she hates fat people, so it's okay if I do it too. And that sucks. But then on the opposite side, I think that this claim has kind of been weaponized by people who want to defend Lizzo because the way that it's written in the lawsuit is just super vague to the point where if you make this the focal point of the entire complaint, then it makes the whole complaint seem kind of petty and based more in feelings of discrimination rather than really objective facts and recollections of specific events. Because if you're saying that Lizzo asking Ariana about being less bubbly and asking if she's not as committed to the tour as she used to be gave Ariana the impression that she needed to explain her weight gain. You just need to go into like way more details about why Ariana got that impression. And just saying like, well, in professional dance, a dancer's weight gain is seen as them getting worse or lazier or less committed, like that doesn't really fly as like a piece of evidence. Especially when Lizzo has already branded herself as doing something that's kind of outside the boundaries of what's traditionally accepted in the professional dance world. But I do think the fact that they put in here that Lizzo had previously called attention to Ariana's weight at South by Southwest, that to me has more merit and so I'm a little frustrated with the way that this is written because I'm like, okay, well, what did she say? You just said that she made a comment calling attention to her weight gain, but like, what was the comment? How was it said? Like, I don't, I don't understand why there's not more detail here because I think that if Ariana got that impression, there must have been other things that led up to that moment that would make her think that that's the question Lizzo was asking her. So what were those things? 
And then I'm similarly frustrated with how a different part of this complaint is written in relation to sexual harassment. So it really briefly goes into problems that the dancers were having with the bus drivers of the tour. It says, while on tour with Lizzo, Ms. Williams accidentally brushed up against one of the tour bus drivers. The driver responded by saying, you can back up on me again, implying Ms. Williams' accidental touch gave him sexual gratification. A different driver was known for playing sexually explicit songs on the tour bus. These interactions made the dance cast incredibly uncomfortable and fear for their safety. Ms. Davis and Ms. Rodriguez reported the driver's inappropriate behavior to BGB management on multiple occasions, but BGBT never did anything to protect the dancers. Management merely questioned whether the drivers were drunk and or driving safely and did nothing to make the dancers feel any safer than they did prior to reporting the bus driver's behavior. After several reports made by Ms. Davis and Ms. Rodriguez, management began denying ever hearing about drivers' inappropriate behavior. So again, it's like, I, I just need more detail here, because the thing about the bus driver saying the, like, uh, you can back up on me anytime or whatever, that to me seems like a problem, you know? That's a specific quote. I understand the sexual connotation to it. I get how that is sexual harassment. But then when it goes into, and a different bus driver would play sexually explicit songs on the tour bus, it's like, okay, you're touring for Lizzo, who does also have some sexually explicit lyrics, and in that Amazon Prime show that Ariana and Crystal were in, I don't remember if Crystal was in this part, I think she was, because um, it's toward the beginning, they do a dance routine to Cardi B's, um, what's the song called? Up. And while they, they played, at one point when they showed the dancers, they played like a more clean version than the explicit version. I have to imagine that they probably were rehearsing with the explicit version. So like, I just, they're in an environment where I, I think they are going to be expected to hear some explicit lyrics from time to time. And I understand that if you're on a bus with someone who's already been sexually harassing you and it's already a really sexually charged environment, then that would change the context of it where, you know, just being on a bus with people that you trust and feel comfortable with and they're playing sexually explicit songs, then that's whatever. But being on a bus with someone who is already making you uncomfortable, it completely changes the dynamic and makes you even more uncomfortable. Like, I, I get that. But there's no additional details in here as to why that bus driver would be making them uncomfortable separately from the songs. Because it's the first driver who said the thing about Crystal accidentally touching him, and then the different driver who's playing the sexually explicit songs. Like, I, I, I do trust that there is more detail here, that there are more instances of inappropriate behavior from these bus drivers because it straight up says that Ariana and Noelle reported the bus driver's inappropriate behavior multiple times. So what were they reporting? What specifically was in those reports? But so then there are other things in here that make the sexually charged environment a little bit more clear. So one of the incidents it talks about is 
when Lizzo and the dancers were in Amsterdam, says that uh, after the show, Lizzo invited the dancers out with her for a night on the town. And it says the invitations were not unusual and attendance was not mandatory, but it was well known that dance cast members were expected to endear themselves to Lizzo. Lizzo often mentioned that she had eyes and ears everywhere and only wanted good people with good energy around her. And for the record, in the Amazon Prime show, she does specifically say that she has eyes and ears everywhere. So I do definitely see credence to that allegation. And then it says, Those who attended after-party events Lizzo planned were often favored, selected to perform with Lizzo at shows outside of regularly scheduled tour dates, and were widely considered to enjoy greater job security. Again, I would just like a little bit more detail about that. If they could maybe give examples of, like, this dancer hung out with Lizzo outside of, outside of the regularly scheduled events, and then that person ended up doing her VMA performance or something. Like, give me a specific example so I understand what kinds of things were happening and what kinds of, like, things were being traded here. How was the favoritism manifesting? Were there people who got let go because they weren't hanging out with Lizzo and the other dancers enough? Like... What what was the thing that was hanging over their head where they felt like they needed to do this? Because it's like with the fat shaming thing again, where I think someone who just wants to look at this as objectively as possible and just look at literally what was said and literally what these people saw happen, they could just look at that and say like, well, that's an inference that you got but you haven't given me any evidence to see that that was, like, a legitimate thing to believe. That could just be someone being really paranoid and anxious and insecure. Like, I, I don't know. I doubt it. I think it probably is true what they're saying. They just haven't given enough detail for, like, anyone to say super declaratively that, yeah, this was really fucked up. But whatever, regardless of the circumstances that led to them feeling like they needed to go along with this night on the town in Amsterdam, what happened that night is still just kind of objectively bad if it happened the way that this lawsuit is outlining that it happened. So it says the main event of the night was a club called Bananan Bar, where patrons are allowed to interact with completely nude performers. Now, the interesting thing is, it wasn't prior to this event that's outlined in the lawsuit, because it was from, like, 2019, this interview, but there is a radio interview where Lizzo specifically asks uh, the host, who I think is it's from Amsterdam, I think that's where she is doing the interview, she asks him, about this bar, about Bananan Bar. But I'm trying to go to the show where you eat the banana out the pussy. Which one is that? This is the banana bar. Well, that's the banana bar? Yeah, you're And then you the have the banana, banana in the, in yeah, the yeah, coochie? Yeah, and, and ping pong bowls. And you have to go. Yes. And that's what to, I want to do. Then you have to eat it. I need my potassium, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> my poos potassium. <laughs> so for sure, she has gone there, or at least at one point she had an interest in going there. And presuming, because that interview was from 2019, that she did go to Bananan Bar after that interview, like, shortly after, and didn't wait all the way until, like, February of this year to go for the first time, 
she's probably already been to Bananan Bar and she knows exactly what goes down there. I mean, even in that interview, she seemed to know exactly what went down there and she was eager to go. So she very much knew the environment that she was inviting her dancers to join her in. And I'm not trying to argue that there need to be these like super clear divisions between like professional and personal business. There do need to be boundaries, but I get absolutely that when you're on tour with a band and with dancers and with a crew, like you're all traveling together, you're all working very closely together, there are gonna be like personal bonds that form. And I think it's totally fine if an artist actually just like makes friends with their dancers and they go out and they party with them in between shows, like that's totally okay as long as there's still an acknowledgement of like the power imbalance there and as long as it's pretty clear to everyone involved that a dancer or any other sort of like crew member or employee not being best friends with the artist isn't going to affect their employment. And this is why there really should be like unions and stuff involved because you just kind of need other third-party entities to be able to put up safeguards in situations like this. But I just want to make it clear that like my my initial objection to this incident is not that Lizzo is inviting her dancers to a strip club or to the Red Lake District. That's fine. The issue comes from the fact that these dancers who are filing this lawsuit have said that they felt pressured to go to these events because they thought it might affect their employment, and presuming that those feelings they had were based in previous events and things that had been said to them or things that they had seen from Lizzo's interactions with other people, presuming that it's all made on like valid grounds that they didn't think they could turn Lizzo down, then that is at the problem here. And added on to it is the fact that according to these women, when they initially accepted the invitation, they didn't know where they were going. And when you're taking someone to a strip club with you, whether or not it's your employee, even if it's just your friend, you should probably make it pretty clear what they're gonna walk into. Or even in this instance, just don't invite specific people that you think might be uncomfortable with it, which I don't know like the exact timeline of everything that happened, but from reading this complaint, I get the feeling that Lizzo and other people in that dance team would have already caught on to the fact that Ariana specifically is not super comfortable in really sexual environments. Like she didn't want to do the nude photo shoot. We'll get into it in a second, but she's also a virgin, which seems to have been known amongst the crew. Her and Noelle were putting in complaints about the bus drivers on the tour. Assuming that those reports made to management are similar to the ones made in this complaint, then I assume that they even mentioned the fact that the bus drivers were playing sexually explicit songs. So why do you think that those people want to go to a strip club with you where people are going to be eating bananas out of vaginas? It doesn't really seem like their vibe, does it? So the lawsuit says... Lizzo began inviting cast members to take turns touching the nude performers, catching dildos launched from the performers' vaginas, and eating bananas protruding from the performers' vaginas. I do feel like there's maybe a different word to use in a legal document than dildo, 
but, you know, point taken. I think to say that this is a sexually charged environment would be an understatement. So for Lizzo to even think about inviting a woman who she knows isn't really comfortable being naked in front of other people, who is a virgin, who has made complaints about bus drivers playing sexually explicit songs, like, that is not the person who needs to be in this environment in the first place. And maybe you could write that off as an oversight that like, oh, she didn't realize because really it wasn't her that directly invited the dancers. It was one of the other dancers who I guess is like Lizzo's favorite is how it's kind of portrayed in this suit. The other dancer went around being like, hey, Lizzo wants us all to go out tonight. Can I get a head count? And then the girl said yes. And then once they realized that they were going to a club where they were gonna be pressured into eating bananas out of people's vaginas, or maybe if they weren't pressured, they were probably going to watch other people eating bananas out of people's vaginas. They tried to say like, oh, actually, we don't want to go. And then that other dancer was like, well, too late. I already told Lizzo you're coming, so you have to come. So like, maybe you could say Lizzo didn't realize that Ariana specifically had been invited, even if she got the head count. Maybe she just got a number and or maybe there was some sort of like miscommunication or something like, I don't know. Maybe it was an oversight that we took the the virgin to a strip club where people launch dildos out of their vaginas. But that definitely doesn't seem to be the case because while they were at the strip club, Lizzo allegedly started encouraging Ariana to touch the breasts of the nude performers. So not an oversight, possibly incredibly intentional. I can't completely just speculate into what was happening in Lizzo's brain at the time, but from the way that this is portrayed in this lawsuit, I am getting kind of an impression that she enjoyed doing this to Ariana specifically because she's so kind of chaste and inexperienced in sexuality. I don't know if Lizzo got some sort of like sexual gratification from it herself, or if she just thought that it was funny to put Ariana in that situation. But it says, Lizzo began leading a chant, goading Ms. Davis. Ms. Davis said three times loud enough for all to hear, I'm good, expressing her desire not to touch the performer. The chant grew louder and more strident, demanding a visibly uncomfortable Ms. Davis to engage with the performer. Ms. Davis reiterated her discomfort, saying, I'd rather not because I'm cool here in the corner. Finally, the chorus became overwhelming, and a mortified Ms. Davis acquiesced in an attempt to bring an end to the chants. After Ms. Davis briefly touched the performer's breasts, the group burst into laughter. Ms. Davis abashedly laughed along, trying to hide how uncomfortable this interaction made her. Her efforts to conceal her discomfort were apparently unsuccessful as on separate occasions, BGBT management in attendance, as well as Lizzo's security team, asked Ms. Davis if she was okay. Ms. Davis replied, kind of, to one request, and no to the other. And that's super interesting to me, especially because I'll talk about it after I kind of get through the lawsuit a little bit more, but Lizzo is pretty much just fighting all of these allegations and saying that these women are, like, making this up and yada yada, but it sounds like there was witnesses, and we don't have any sort of other witness statements at the moment, but I have a feeling that other people may want to come on record and say, like, no, I saw this happen, and 
the way that Ariana described it is accurate? I don't know. It certainly seems at this point, like, it's not just the women who are filing this lawsuit against Lizzo that have a problem with her. There are other people who are kind of eager to talk about their experiences with her. And should any of those people have been at that event that night, then, you know, Lizzo might be kind of fucked in that way. So I, I don't know why she's not at least conceding to a couple of these points, because it's not even just a he said, she said, or she said, she said, I guess, in some of these instances. And Ariana is possibly not the only victim of harassment that night, because it says, in addition to pressuring an unwilling Ms. Davis into interacting with a nude performer, plaintiffs and all in attendance were unable to avoid witnessing Lizzo's incredibly public displays of affection with her boyfriend. At one point, the couple exuberantly took Shanta, who is the, um, she's that dancer that is like Lizzo's fave, her bestie, and two members of the band which performed with Lizzo on tour to a back room before returning some time later. Now again, incredibly sparse details here. I, I get the impression that what this is trying to say is that Lizzo might have been engaging in some sort of sexual act with other members of her band or also her other dancer. Like, I don't know. The fact that it sets this up as like there were incredibly public displays of sexual affection with Lizzo's boyfriend, and then at one point the couple took one of the dancers and two members of the band to a back room in this strip club. Like, I, I, you know, I feel like the two options there are they were doing drugs or they were having some sort of sexual interaction, and maybe both. And now maybe everyone was completely consenting to that and that's their business, that's fine. But for sure, if Lizzo is pressuring people into doing things like touching a nude performer's breast when that person isn't comfortable doing that, then it's not outside the question that maybe some of these other instances that involved other members of her crew was similarly a little fucked in terms of the power dynamics in the very least. I don't know though. It does say though, upon her return to the main club, Lizzo began to pressure a member of her security team to participate in the night's debauchery. Lizzo badgered the security guard to get on the club stage until he submitted to her demands. So again, like I, d I don't have statements from the security guard and there aren't like specific quotes or anything, but the fact that they're using words like badgered and submitted, it makes it seem like this security guard really did not want to do what Lizzo was about to make him do. Cause then it says, when he got on stage, his pants were pulled down exposing his buttocks. I don't know why it's so funny to me that this, this lawsuit included the word dildo, but then can't just say like his butt or his, even his behind or something like his buttocks. Anyway, Lizzo then began yelling, take it off while a club performer hit the security guard with whips. Plaintiffs were aghast with how little regard Lizzo showed for the bodily autonomy of her employees and those around her, especially in the presence of many people whom she employed. And I also have to say, I don't know that I would really want my security guard to be hit with whips at some point during the night. Like, I'm sure it's just a performance thing and he's not actually being hit that hard, but I don't want my security guard put into any sort of situation in which they could get injured because I kind of need them 
to protect me. And also to that point, I don't know that I want my security guard to have any sort of dislike for me because then that might make them kind of hesitate in any sort of dangerous situation if I'm the girl who made them show their bare ass in front of a group of people that they work with when they didn't want to. Like, that's just not, that's not what I want my security guard to think of me. Because again, he needs to protect me. I want him to like me and care about my physical safety. It's like when you're rude to the people making your food. So then after that, it says that in uh, March, Lizzo, uh, she had her performers go to this other club or show thing called Crazy Horse in France. And this was like a burlesque cabaret kind of thing where the performers were nude. And it does say, while the show at Crazy Horse was artful and nowhere near as uncomfortable as their outing to Bananan Bar, plaintiffs were shocked that Lizzo would conceal the nature of the event from them, robbing them of the choice not to participate. Because I guess Lizzo didn't tell them that they were going to another event in which there would be nudity. And I've seen some people kind of shitting on the women for this claim that, you know, it was just like a cabaret thing, it was artsy, don't be such a prude. And like, I kind of get that, but not in context. Like, first of all, this happened after the banana bar thing, so I think for them to be confronted with other performers' nude bodies at this point, it might just be kind of like, fuck, not again. And it also specifically says in here that Lizzo invited them to this performance and said that she wanted the dancers to watch it and learn something and be inspired by the performance. And given the whole thing with, like, the nude photo shoot in the Amazon Prime show and the very sexually charged environment here, I think even just that wording, like, I want you to watch this and be inspired, I'd be like, inspired to do what? <laughs> inspired to take my clothes off? No thank you, Lizzo. To be super charitable here, though, this could have just been, like, a complete oversight. Like, it says that Lizzo failed to tell them that they were going to a nude cabaret bar, and it even says the thing about her concealing that truth from them, but it really might have just been that she didn't think about it. Not that she was very deliberately hiding it. Maybe if there were some other indicators here that they asked about the show and what it what it entailed, which maybe they did, especially after the banana bar thing, maybe they did kind of inquire into like, what, what are we walking into at this point? And then if she didn't tell them what it was, then yeah, okay, that's kind of weird. But it really could have just been something as innocent as like, oh, I want to go to this cabaret thing and I want to bring my dancers and she didn't think about the fact that, like, it was nude. Because, like, really, when you're in, like, the entertainment business and stuff like that, like, you, you do just see nude things happen sometimes. Not, like, sexual harassment kind of nude things, but, like, when you're in dressing rooms and stuff, you see people's parts and such. It just kind of happens. So it might just have been such a normal thing to her that she didn't think it was something she needed to warn people about. Especially if the performance is pretty artfully done and not, like, very sexually aggressive, like banana bar. So I get how maybe she just overlooked that and didn't think about it. But I also completely get why, by this point, after everything else that had happened, why the plaintiffs would be like, uh, stop taking us to places where people are naked, please. And especially don't tell me that you want me to learn something from these performances. So that's kind of the lowdown on the sexual harassment stuff with Lizzo. Now we have to talk about Lizzo's dance captain, Shirlene Quigley. 
Shirlene is a dancer who has worked with many uh, big, big artists like Rihanna, Beyonce, Missy Elliott. You know, she's got a strong resume, lots of experience in the industry. She's also likely incredibly mentally ill. I'm not a psychologist, so I don't know, like, what specifically might be happening here, but I can just say from the little amount of research that I did, there's definitely something off here. So for one thing, her name has actually been in the news before because she disappeared for a little bit in 2016. Backup dancer who performed with A-listers like Beyonce and Rihanna has gone missing, and her famous friends are appealing for help. 32-year-old Charlene Quigley vanished early Sunday morning, last seen getting on a bus in New York City around 1 in the morning. Now, Rihanna posted a video of Quigley on Instagram calling her a beautiful soul and pleading for anyone who may have seen her to call police. So this is from a Page Six article that came out a little bit ago after this Lizzo stuff started to come out. And they talked about this 2016 disappearance and kind of inquired into it a little bit because I don't think that the news reports on it at the time were super conclusive when it happened. But this is what it says. Shirlene's father, Brad Quigley, reported his daughter missing after he was unable to get in touch with her during their daily telephone check-ins. He told the Post at the time that his daughter had been exhibiting strange behavior leading up to her disappearance and that she had allegedly texted a friend randomly writing, I'm spending time with God, my father, and don't have time to deal with this right now. One of Shirlene's final whereabouts before she went missing was a bridal store where she was seen shopping for a dress. Her dad told the Post that he found that really odd because if his daughter were to get married, she would so want him and her mother to be there. Shirlene was eventually found in New York City a few days later, but the exact details of why she went missing in the first place remained elusive. So this is where Page Six did a little bit of follow-up here. They say, Page Six has spoken to the North Bergen Police. I don't know. Bergen? Bergen? I don't know where that is. One of the departments involved in the search for Charlene nearly seven years ago, and they provided some insight into the investigation at the time. Captain David Dowd, who worked on the case alongside his department and NYPD, recalls to Page Six that a concerned citizen called them because they had noticed a woman matching Charlene's description who was unwell and needed medical help. There aren't a whole lot of other details here, but it does say that Dowd notes that Shirlene was allegedly so rattled that she was unable to provide her name. So Shirlene Quigley has definitely, at the very least, had some mental health struggles before. And she is incredibly deeply religious to a degree where... Obviously, you can be really religious without it being like a symptom of a mental illness, but with everything put together here, I do wonder if if the exact way or the exact like passion and zeal of her religiosity is in some way influenced by some deeper mental health struggles. So in a lot of ways, I do kind of feel for her in that I don't think that some of the things that she's done and some of the things outlined in this lawsuit 
were things that she was doing with a complete clear head, but I don't think that she really should have been put into a position of power over these other dancers because the things she's doing, allegedly, are really just not okay. So it says, Ms. Quigley was not only vocal about her religious belief, but took every opportunity to proselytize to any and all in her presence regardless of protestations. Or protestations, I don't know exactly how you would pronounce that. But I 100% believe this because not only is like every part of Shirlene's public-facing life revolved around her religion, like if you go to her website, if you go to her social media, any of it, all she talks about is Jesus. So I totally buy the idea that that's all she talks about when she's working with people too, especially because if you go to her Instagram, there's a post from seven weeks ago that has, it's like a video of Margot Robbie doing like the little hand heart thing. And the caption says, me telling everyone at work, Jesus loves them. And then the caption that Shirlene puts on it is on and off stage, hashtag tour life, hashtag Christians at work be like, hashtag Jesus loves you. So like that to me kind of looks almost like an admission of like, yeah, I tell everyone at work about my religious faith and how they should believe in that. And then it says, Ms. Quickly took particular interest in Ms. Davis and regularly preached at Ms. Davis about what Ms. Quigley believed to be a shared Christian identity. During filming of the, the Amazon Prime show, Ms. Quickly discovered that Ms. Davis was a virgin and Ms. Davis's virginity became a topic of extreme importance to Ms. Quigley. In the months to follow, Ms. Quigley would routinely bring up Ms. Davis's virginity in conversations with Ms. Davis. Ms. Quigley even mentioned Ms. Davis's virginity in interviews she participated in and later posted to social media, broadcasting an intensely personal detail about Ms. Davis to the world. Ms. Davis never gave Ms. Quigley permission to share this private detail about Ms. Davis's life. So I've been trying to find that interview footage of uh, Shirlene talking about Ariana's virginity. I couldn't find a whole lot. I mean, it says she talked about it in interviews, plural, so I have to assume that there's more than just what I found, but I did find one interview where she kind of brings it up. She doesn't say specifically that Ariana was a virgin, but she does say this. So the Lizzo show, Watch Out for the Big Girls, uh, it's on Prime right now. It's so awesome, I got to be a part of it. There was a girl, she's one of my favorites on the show, and in real life, her name's Ariana, and she they had a nude photo shoot. Okay. And listen, let's just keep it 100. Ariana, this is like her first big opportunity. And being a bigger girl, it's already hard. Like people, it's hard. It's hard. So in that moment, most girls would have just said, yes, I'll do whatever because this is TV shows. It's like, it's like, you know, making the band, all this stuff. Like if I say no, they'll probably cut me on the TV show. And she was like, because of my beliefs, I believe that being naked is supposed to be for like your wedding night. I get, I want to cry because to me, that girl is way more brave than I am. Cause I have a resume when I said, no, she didn't have no resume. She said, 
I don't feel comfortable. And what did Lizzo's team do? Because they have, I mean, they do have beautiful hearts and that's what, that's her tribe. Ariana is part of our tribe. Like she was, there was nothing, nothing in, no demon, no nothing could stop hurt the plans that God had for her life. And they said, okay, mama, you can wear a nude bra and a nude underwear. So then the lawsuit says Ms. Quigley continued to preach at everyone in her surroundings, especially about her beliefs regarding Christianity and sexuality. Ms. Quigley often made comments deriding people who engaged in premarital sex, knowing that some members of the dance cast did not share her views. Ms. Quigley also had a party trick in which she would simulate oral sex on a banana in front of the rest of the dance cast. Poor fucking bananas really did not ask to be involved in this thing to this degree. Like, why are there so many mentions of bananas? And it says, these instances were always unprompted and made plaintiffs uncomfortable. And oh my god, I want to know so badly, what the fuck leads up to her doing this? Like, are they all just, like, sitting around talking casually and then suddenly she's like, hey guys, look at this. Like, why? Why does she do this? How does it happen? And why are there always bananas? <laughs> like, for this to have happened on multiple occasions, that makes me believe that there were just bananas around all the time. How else would she continuously do this? Did she keep bananas around just to do this? Or was it something like if they went to a hotel and she saw like a fruit basket with bananas in it, was she immediately like, oh, hell yeah, I gotta fillet this banana. Can you imagine the like trauma these women probably have around bananas at this point? Because for at least like a short portion of their life, every time there was a banana around them, Something went awry. But then it goes on, and it gets even, like, just fucking worse. I, well, I don't even know. I don't know if it's worse. I think it maybe is, like, an equal amount of just stop doing this. It says, Ms. Quigley's sexually inappropriate behavior did not stop at faux fellatio. Despite her staunch belief in opposition to premarital sex, she had no problem sharing her masturbatory habits with the dance cast, often stating things to the effect of, masturbating is against my religion, but today I had an oopsie. And okay, first, I'm not religious, but is masturbation a sin? I really didn't think so, but I, I don't know. I guess maybe it would like depend on the denomination, but I just, I don't really see the problem. I don't see why God would care. I don't see why he really would care about the sex thing either, but I can see like, okay, maybe wait till marriage or whatever, because then there's like a stronger connection or something. It almost seems more of like a practical suggestion than like, this is immoral. Uh, whatever. Again, I'm not religious, so I can't speak to the logic behind it. But masturbation, it's like, that's, that's your own thing, though. And then, is there anything that you can do to earn the right to masturbate? Like, if you have to wait until marriage to have sex, what do you have to wait to do to masturbate? Do you have to wait to get married to be able to masturbate? I... 
I need that explained to me a little bit more. Well, actually, no, I don't really, I don't even care. Just, it's fine. And more importantly, it's your business and it's not something that you need to tell people about who don't really want to hear about it. And it definitely seems like these people did not want to hear about it. But again, I absolutely believe that this happened because I went while I was looking for the interviews in which she might have said something about Ariana's virginity, and I found a clip of her saying this, not in relation to masturbation, but to sex. Because I'm also, I'm abstinent, so I'm waiting until marriage. Okay. I mean, From 27? Uh, yeah, 27. It started at 26, but the first year I did a couple oopsies. <laughs> I was like, it's hard. But yeah, like 27. So it definitely appears that the word oopsie is in her vernacular. And if she's using it in relation to sex, I think it's perfectly logical to think that she might have also used it in relation to masturbation if she apparently thinks that that is also a sin. And it doesn't even stop there, because then it says Ms. Quigley's sexually explicit comments were so pervasive the entire dance team knew about her sexual fantasy of having 10 penises in her face. And I guess I'm just going to present that without comment, like I really don't even know what to say. Though I do kind of wonder, like with the masturbation thing, is that something that she's just resigned to never have well i mean i guess she is clearly masturbating so maybe at some point she will have 10 penises in her face but is that something that's just permanently a sin or is there something that she can do to earn the right to get that does she have to marry 10 men is that okay in her religious beliefs and like at this point dude i get you have your thing with your religion and your abstinence or whatever, but like clearly you're a very horny person. This just seems like a very destructive path for you to be on. Like go have 10 penises in your face and just keep it between you and God. You don't have to tell people about it. Okay, and so then it says, <laughs> this is so ridiculous, Ms. Quigley continued to keep tabs on Ms. Davis's virginity and made it clear Ms. Quigley thought the only way one could be a proper Christian was through similar abstinence. And I'll also mention that at no point in this lawsuit does Ariana ever say anything or her lawyer doesn't ever say anything about, like, why she's a virgin. It definitely appears that Shirlene just assumed that that was because she's saving herself until marriage. I don't know that that's the case. Maybe that is what Shirlene, or maybe that is what Ariana said to her. Or maybe she literally just hadn't met someone that she felt comfortable doing that with yet. Or maybe she's even like asexual or something. Like, I, there are so many options for why someone might not have had sex at some point that I, I don't know that... Ariana's even specifically abstinent. And if she's not, if that was just an assumption that Shirlene made, I think that that might be something worth putting into a later filing. If that's something that Ariana feels comfortable with, obviously, I, I don't think that she really wanted this stuff to be that public in the first place because she's talking about how uncomfortable it made her that Shirlene was talking about her abstinence, quote unquote, or her virginity publicly in the first place but you know she is filing this lawsuit it is pretty public now so it might be worth bringing up if Shirlene was just making an assumption from her own religious fervor 
but I don't know. It then goes on to say, Ms. Quigley also singled out Ms. Rodriguez as a non-believer and made it her mission to preach at Ms. Rodriguez. So this is Noelle. She started working with Lizzo on the rumors video. And I guess she is a non-believer. I don't know what that really means in this context, because again, this is something that seems to come from Shirlene's assumptions or her perspective on what was happening. It could be that Noelle is actually like Christian or something. She's just not Christian to the degree that Shirlene is, or she's like a total atheist. I'm not really sure. But whatever she was, it really bothered Shirlene. It says Ms. Quigley even told other dance cast members it was her mission to minister to Ms. Rodriguez during the tour. When cast members told Ms. Rodriguez of Ms. Quigley's intent, Ms. Rodriguez specifically requested that Ms. Quigley refrain from impressing her religious beliefs onto Ms. Rodriguez. Ms. Quigley became irate and yelled at Ms. Rodriguez. At one point while on tour, Ms. Quigley stated, No job and no one will stop me from talking about the Lord. Again, like I said, if you go to Shirlene's website or her Instagram or anything that she does, it absolutely appears that she does want to, like, minister to people. I mean, she even had a GoFundMe at one point that was supposed to be for, like, this dance troupe or something that is, like, a ministry sort of thing. I don't, I don't quite know exactly what it was, but it's on her website, so you can go look at it. And she had, like, an Instagram live thing or an Instagram TV, Instagram reels. I don't know what it was because it's, it's done now, but there was a little point earlier in the year where she had, like, a Bible study thing going on on her Instagram. So it certainly doesn't strike me as outside the question that Shirlene isn't just, like, religious privately in her own time. Like, she, she likes to preach to people. She likes the idea, probably, of converting people. Just given the sheer amount that she talks about it on every sort of, like, public platform that she has. And then it says, while Ms. Quigley was for sure the most extreme in her religious convictions, her sentiments were softly echoed by others in supervisory roles at BGBT. Before rehearsals and performances, the dance team would pray together. While it was not an official requirement for team members to participate in these prayers, it became clear that engagement was compulsory. The responsibility to lead the group in prayer rotated across the dancers, and when it was Ms. Rodriguez's turn, she politely but clearly made it known she did not want to lead the prayer. Despite Ms. Rodriguez declining every time she was asked, Ms. Quigley continued to pressure Ms. Rodriguez. In watching both the Amazon Prime show and then also Lizzo's documentary on HBO, I, there were moments where I saw the dance crew praying together. Obviously, I can't say whether or not people were being pressured or people felt that it was compulsory, and that is like a normal thing for a lot of dance groups and stuff to do. If people are religious, they'll pray before a show. Like, that's not outside the norm, but if people felt pressured into doing it, then that's, that's fucked, you know? But I, I can't say I wasn't there. So that's all kind of the, like, really sort of harassment-y stuff that was happening, sexual harassment and religious harassment. There was also a lot more business stuff going on that's mentioned in this lawsuit. So one of the big things that's mentioned pretty early in the complaint is that Noelle was approached with another job opportunity that was going to run concurrently with rehearsals for Lizzo's live shows and tours. 
But then the rehearsals for the live shows were postponed, so Noelle went and asked Lizzo's tour manager if she could take on that other job that she had been offered while in this, like, waiting period between when the rehearsals were going to reconvene. And she was allegedly told by the tour manager, do you want the job or not? Which the lawsuit says implied that if Ms. Rodriguez wanted to keep her position as a tour dancer, she could not take any other positions. And so the complaint talks about the dancers often being put on a soft hold, which meant that while they weren't actually rehearsing or touring with Lizzo, they were still just expected to not take any other jobs and just wait until Lizzo needed them for something. But while they were on that soft hold, they weren't getting paid at all. It says, the dancers then learned that the musicians and other members of the tour were on a retainer in which they were paid a portion of their tour rate while on break from tour in exchange for not taking other jobs. Plaintiffs and their team members started discussing among themselves how they would negotiate for a retainer of their own. Making matters more stressful, plaintiffs and the dance cast were only ever given two weeks advance notice that they were booked for tour performances. This lack of notice placed plaintiffs in a sort of purgatory, not knowing whether they should start looking for other jobs or to wait for Lizzo's performances to resume. This insecurity made obtaining a retainer of utmost importance to plaintiffs and the dance cast. And this is where I would really, really love to hear from other dancers who have worked on tours of similar, like, sizes and of with, like, artists who are as successful as Lizzo because I don't know if retainer fees like that are super standard and expected for tour dancers. I definitely think that they should be in circumstances like this, but I, I just don't know. Like, is this a particularly egregious thing that Lizzo's tour management was doing? Or is this something that just happens to dancers all the time? Or even does it happen to other, like, musicians and stuff that's touring with big acts like this? I, I just don't know. I do not know. And I tried to look it up. I tried searching various things of, like, dancer, retainer fees, tours, yada yada. And I kept coming up with stuff that was, like, literal, like, retainers, like, physical retainers for like, I don't know, like leg braces and stuff, or even like retainers for your mouth. So that that was kind of a dead end. But so the dance team eventually starts putting in requests for retainers, and they originally requested a 50% retainer fee of their weekly tour rate. Uh, eventually there was some like email correspondence, and then um, someone involved in the tour, I don't remember who it was. Oh, it was their, um, it was the the tour company's accountant, they sent an email offering a retainer of 25%, so like half of what the dancers requested. And again, I don't know, like, if retainers are like a common thing in the industry, what what's the rate that's super standard? Is, is 50% a normal amount? Or would 25% be more industry standard? Not sure. Now, eventually, the dancers did get a 50% retainer fee, but in that email, the first one that said, we'll give you 25%, 
It says that the accountant took the opportunity to scold the dancers for unacceptable and disrespectful behavior while on tour, stating that it was cause for termination. Nowhere in the email did she explain what she or BGBT deemed unacceptable or disrespectful, only the dance cast, comprised of full-figured women of color, were ever spoken to in this manner, giving plaintiffs the impression that these comments were charged with racial and fatphobic animus. So it says the plaintiffs and their fellow dancers were blindsided by the allegations of the email and requested a meeting with Kevin Beisler. He's another person that, like, works in management on the tour. It says, Mr. Beisler initially agreed to meet, but when he arrived for the meeting, he simply stated he had no time to talk with the dancers, even though he had devoted ample time to discussions with the musicians and vocalists performing on tour that same day. So then it says in April of 2023, the dancers and BGBT were able to agree to a 50% retainer. And I, I would really like to know how they got that back up to 50%. Like, again, there's, there's just so many details that are missing here that I would really like more information on. But okay, good. They got the 50%. But then it says, unfortunately, despite the advances the dancers made in obtaining a retainer, it became clear that BGBT's management began to lash out at the dancers. Specifically, BGBT management treated the black members of the dance team differently than other members. BGBT's management team consisted almost entirely of white Europeans who often accused the black members of the dance team of being lazy, unprofessional, and having bad attitudes. Not only did these words ring familiar as tropes used to disparage and discourage black women from advocating for themselves, but the same accusations were not levied against dancers who are not black. So after that, they go into this dance rehearsal thing that ended up being like a re-audition. It says, on or about April 20th, 2023, the dance cast was scheduled for an eight-hour rehearsal. Near the end of rehearsal, Lizzo arrived and called the dance cast together for a meeting to address the rumors of unprofessionalism. During this meeting, Lizzo also stated that the dancers were not performing up to par and repeatedly accused the dancers of drinking alcohol before shows, even though the dance cast had never partaken in such a practice. Lizzo then stated all the dancers would be required to re-audition for their spots, and if Lizzo was dissatisfied with their performance at the end of the day, the dancers would be fired and sent home. What followed was an excruciating re-audition in which dancers repeatedly ran through the entire 90-minute show. What was supposed to be an 8-hour rehearsal was extended to almost 12 hours. The re-audition was brutal, as the dancers were not allowed a break. During the run-through of the show, Ms. Davis felt she needed to excuse herself to use the restroom. However, she was afraid that if she left the stage at any point during the audition, she would be fired. Ms. Davis pressed on as long as she could until she eventually lost control of her bladder. Still fearing the repercussions of exiting the stage during the run-through, Ms. Davis remained on stage, dancing in soiled clothes until there was a brief segment of the show where the dance cast was not part of the on-stage performance and were allowed a short break. Ms. Davis was utterly embarrassed and hurried backstage to change into clean clothes. Unfortunately, the only clothing available to Ms. Davis was a see-through garment provided by the wardrobe department, making her feel exposed and even more embarrassed. Ms. Davis was required to finish the rehearsal dancing in front of male crew members who were known to sexualize the dancers under less revealing scenarios while wearing completely transparent shorts with no undergarments. And that is fucking horrifying. 
I'm again a little frustrated with the lack of detail here in terms of dancing in front of male crew members who were known to sexualize the dancers under less revealing scenarios. Like which ones? Please, like, t give me details. Tell me why they felt that way. Because I absolutely believe them, just because I, I don't have any reason not to, but I also, like, I, I would need details to say for certain that that there was some some environment in which they were being harassed. And I just, I don't know that because I haven't been given, like, specific instances of it. But even without that, I mean, like, even if it was a completely, like, loving and accepting environment in terms of the crew members being supportive and not creepy and weird with the dancers, having to perform with, like, pretty much your whole, like, ass and pussy out because you're wearing see-through shorts with nothing underneath. Like, that's terrible. Oh, and I bet she kind of smelled like pee, too. That would suck. Poor girl. And, like, how do you do that, too, as, as one of the people in a position of power on that day? How do you see one of your dancers peeing themselves because they're so afraid of you? And you're just like, whatever, put on some see-through shorts with no underwear and get your ass back up here. Like, that's so fucked up. That is like no empathy whatsoever. I just, I feel like that moment in itself would make you step back and be like, oh my god, what environment am I creating where someone is so afraid of me that they don't go to the bathroom when they need to? Like, oh, what the fuck was happening there? So then the next day, it says Lizzo called another meeting with the dance cast to reiterate that none of their jobs were safe. Once again, Lizzo mentioned that drinking alcohol before the shows was prohibited. As this accusation was not based in any sort of reality, Ms. Williams raised her hand and asked to speak. Ms. Williams went on to rebuke Lizzo's accusation of drinking on the job, stating that the dancers had never drank alcohol prior to shows. Ms. Quickly immediately supported Ms. Williams, confirming that the dancers had never drank before shows. And so, like, obviously, I can't fucking say, like, I wasn't there, I don't know who was drinking and who wasn't, but I do think it's significant that even Shirlene was like, no, that didn't happen. But it says, Lizzo mockingly responded, well, if you're not, then good for y'all. Then stated that maybe the accusations of drinking before shows were on account of the dancer's poor performance. So, yet again, I can't say for sure what was happening in Lizzo's head at the time or anyone who was working on that tour, but it does feel feel just from the timeline of events and how this is all laid out in the lawsuit, which, you know, they're allegations, so we don't know what is or what isn't true, but supposing all of this is factual, what it seems like is happening here is that they got this retainer fee, they now have to be paid even when they're not working, and so Lizzo and other people on the management team at Big Girl Touring Company or whatever it is, they're like, fuck, we got to get rid of these bitches. They're asking for too much. But we need to be able to say that their termination wasn't just because we don't want to pay them for the thing that we already agreed to. We have to find another reason to let them go. So they say that there's been unprofessional, inappropriate behavior, which, you know, I've, we haven't fully heard Lizzo's retort yet, so maybe there was. I don't know. But that doesn't seem to fully stick so then they go to you've all been drinking before the shows and then even Charlene, who's a part of this lawsuit says no that they weren't drinking and and who knows maybe maybe Charlene will come out and say that she actually never said that at the time i i'm not sure but 
according to these allegations, in that moment she did stick up for them and said they weren't drinking. And then, allegedly, Lizzo responded with, well then, maybe we all just think you're drinking because you suck so much. Your performance is very, very poor. And we're going to keep you here all day until you get better. And with Ariana feeling so pressured to not leave the stage, even when she had to pee, it all kind of puts together to me a situation in which Lizzo and other members of the touring company were literally just looking for reasons to fire these people. They were making the conditions so torturous and ridiculous that either these people would quit and they would have no culpability in it, or they would do something that they could say, that they could put down on a piece of paper as like, oh yeah, that's the reason that we fired them. It wasn't because they wanted a retainer fee, it was because of this. And then, for additional context, this is also the same day as the meeting that Lizzo and her choreographer had with Ariana about her weight. So, was that another reason that they were just finding that they could let someone go, you know, not saying that it was specifically about her weight, but that she she wasn't as committed as she had been before, and you could see that with her gaining weight. Like, I don't know. It, it definitely seems suspicious with the entire timeline. And maybe another reason, too, that the, the whole fat phobia thing is a little beside the point, because even in this scenario, I don't know that Lizzo's comments, presuming they were about Ariana's weight, were really that motivated by her being fat-phobic so much as they were just motivated by her needing a reason to let someone go. And then a couple days after that, it says, On or about April 26, 2023, Ms. Williams was terminated in the lobby of the hotel the dancers were staying at under the guise of budget cuts. Ms. Williams was the only dancer to get fired that day. Stunned, Ms. Williams asked to speak to Lizzo. She was told Lizzo isn't the best with these things, and she has a lot going on. Undeterred, Ms. Williams continued to ask to speak to Lizzo until the tour manager stated, Ms. Williams does not have the best attitude at times and comes across as snarky. Ms. Rodriguez then spoke to the tour manager expressing disagreement with the decision to publicly terminate Ms. Williams to which the manager responded that it had to be done and stated, we've never had any problems with you. And to be clear here, Noel Rodriguez is not black. So this is kind of a part of the claims that the black dancers were being talked to and were being accused of things that the non-black dancers were not. So, you know, the tour manager, I keep just saying tour manager because I honestly don't know how to say her last name. It's Ms. Gugliota? Um, but she, she said that Crystal Williams doesn't have the best attitude at times and comes across as snarky, whereas Noelle Rodriguez, who is not a black woman, doesn't have that problem. They've never had any issues with her, but they've had issues with Crystal, who is black. So, you know, who's to say? Maybe, maybe Crystal does have an attitude problem. I don't know, but it definitely does look a little weird when one one person is being accused of it and then another person, while sticking up for that person, is being reassured like, well, you know, we don't have any issues with you, so. And it also just seems like a way to tell someone, like, stay in your lane, you know, don't stick up for this other dancer or else maybe we will have some issues with you. But whatever, I do have some questions here about the entire firing 
incident because it says it happened in the hotel lobby, but it it didn't say. I mean, it says later on in front of the entire dance cast, and I'm I'm just curious about that. Like, what what happened leading up to that? Were they all together, and then while just literally in front of everyone, then Crystal was fired, or was it more like? Other people were just kind of in the hotel going in and out, you know, going to their rooms and stuff while she was being fired in the lobby. And so while people were like walking by, they saw it. Like, I don't quite get the the literal setting of what happened. Either way, it's pretty inappropriate to do it in a hotel lobby, but it'd be even worse if it was very deliberately in front of other people who worked on the crew. But I, I don't really know. Anyway, though, the day after that... It says all the dancers were called into a meeting with Lizzo to discuss notes on how they had been dancing. Prior to discussing performances, Lizzo addressed Ms. Williams being fired. During the meeting, Lizzo stated that she had heard that one of the dancers questioned why Lizzo hadn't fired Ms. Williams directly. Lizzo repeatedly demanded to know who questioned her decision to fire Ms. Williams and once again reminded the dance cast that she had eyes and ears everywhere. Lizzo also stated her preference that the dance cast refrain from socializing with Ms. Williams before Ms. Williams left New Orleans, where the tour was performing that night. And that's just absolutely fucked up. Because like I said earlier, kind of defending Lizzo by even going to a strip club with her dancers in the first place, like, you're on tour together, you're making emotional human connections with people, those people are probably like friends or friendly with Crystal in some way, at least maybe a couple of them. You can't ask them to just stop socializing with her anymore just because she doesn't work on the tour. They have private relationships with one another. That's just not really any of your business unless it starts interfering with work. Like, maybe if they were literally bringing Crystal along with them on the tour bus, then yeah, that might be a problem. But if they're just socializing with her broadly... Fuck off. But so then Ariana was apparently recording this meeting on her phone. She says that she has an eye condition, which Lizzo and BGBT were aware of, which sometimes makes her become like disoriented in stressful situations. And so she she makes audio recordings of stressful interactions so that she can review them later in a less stressful environment. And so for that, I mean, I don't really know what this eye condition is, and I also don't, I just don't think that that really holds up in terms of y you can't really record people without their knowledge, you know? If she didn't tell people that she was recording the meeting, she shouldn't have been recording the meeting, no matter what her intentions were. I get maybe she really was just stressed out, but it also, it could have been that she was trying to, you know, record it, and then extort them for something. I don't think that that's what was happening, but I can see that, like, from Lizzo's perspective or something like that, if you found out that someone had recorded a conversation that you didn't realize was being recorded, you would be pretty upset and maybe a little bit worried about what they intended to do with that recording. Now, ideally, you don't do anything on recording that you don't want other people to hear about. But, you know, things can get taken out of context, whatever, whatever. And also just in the entertainment industry and whatever, you you really don't, you can't, you can't record stuff like that. A lot of people who get into those positions have to sign NDAs and stuff because if they're talking about the tour at all, then that's stuff that needs to be kept like under wraps. 
You don't want possible footage of rehearsals going out, so I have to imagine they probably did sign something saying that they weren't gonna record at meetings or rehearsals and stuff, or they weren't even gonna, like, say what happened in these environments without, like, prior, um, clearance from the, the management. So, okay, sure, Ariana shouldn't have been recording that meeting, but... That does not excuse what allegedly happened after that. So it says, On or about May 3rd, all the dancers were called into an emergency wardrobe fitting. As they arrived at this fitting, BGBT management and security were there waiting for the dance cast. Security took each dancer's phone as they entered the room. Once all were in the room and their phones were collected, Lizzo entered. Lizzo stated she knew that one of the dancers recorded their meeting on April 27th. Lizzo became furious, hurling expletives at the group and stated that she was going to go around the room person by person until someone told Lizzo who made the recording. So this is a very, very scary situation already where she's intimidating her employees, not just to like confess to their own uh, violations, She's also expecting her employees to rat out one another in front of each other. Like, if you're gonna go one by one and interrogate people, do it privately, and then don't make it super fucking clear who's ratting who out. And, like, who who told her that the meeting had been recorded in the first place? I also would like to know more about that. Like, how did this even become a thing that Lizzo knew about? Did parts of the recording get out? Were other people listening to it? Like, why... Why did this become a thing that she knew about? But Ariana does confess to it during the meeting. She says she admitted that she had recorded the meeting and explained it was because she wanted to have a copy of the notes Lizzo had given them about their performances. Ms. Davis also explained that she never intended to harm Lizzo with the recording and had even deleted it the day after. Lizzo responded with, There is nothing you can say to make me believe you. So then I guess Charlene and Lizzo took turns berating her, and then fired her on the spot. I don't know how much of that was in front of everyone else, but it seems like it might have just been all in this one meeting that everyone was present in. So that's already just a mean thing for them to do, though I do understand why you would want to fire someone for recording something without your consent, especially as, like, a big artist who, you know, you have to be kind of more protective about the information about you or your tour that gets out. So, okay, fine. They fired her. I understand why that happened. But then we have two things that happen apparently, like, really at the same time. So... It says, before Lizzo left, Ms. Rodriguez asked if she could have a word with Lizzo. Ms. Rodriguez explained that she did not appreciate how Lizzo had handled the situation with Ms. Davis and that Ms. Rodriguez felt disrespected and therefore would resign. This resignation drew both Ms. Quigley's and Lizzo's ire. Ms. Quigley screamed at Ms. Rodriguez and Ms. Davis calling them disrespectful. Then Lizzo aggressively approached Ms. Rodriguez, cracking her knuckles, bawling her fists, and exclaiming, You're lucky. You're so fucking lucky. Ms. Rodriguez feared that Lizzo intended to hit her and would have done so if one of the other dancers had not intervened. Neither security nor management did anything to de-escalate the situation. As Lizzo left the room, she raised both her middle fingers and yelled, Bye, bitch. So this is where I have to go back to that Postmates thing where she said, she lucky I don't fight no more. 
I don't know how inclined Lizzo is to violence, but the Postmates thing makes it seem like, at least at some point in her past, she did get into physical fights. And this here, where she's saying you're lucky while balling up her fists, and another dancer is literally holding her back, seems like she wanted to start another physical altercation. And in both scenarios, with the Postmates driver and with her dancer, or her former dancer, Noelle, she's telling them that they're lucky, essentially that she didn't kick the shit out of them. So that's not great. And then it says, Ms. Rodriguez then returned to her hotel room, escorted by three other dancers, as they all feared Lizzo may return, trying to hurt Ms. Rodriguez. And I would again love some more details about why they felt that way. Because, yes, she, like, balled her fist and stuff and said the whole you're lucky thing, but, like, was there... Did something else happen in the past that made them think that there was a likelihood she was going to come back and further try to instigate some sort of physical altercation? Because these are three dancers who said that they, well, according to this, three dancers who feared Lizzo may return. Who knows what those other three dancers would say if asked? But presuming that that's true, that all of those people did have that fear, then even more people have some sort of reason to fear her. Because none of these other three dancers are a part of this lawsuit. These are other people. Because Crystal is already gone. She was fired days ago. And Ariana is somewhere else completely. She's not one of the three dancers escorting Noelle to her hotel room. Instead, she was separated from that group. And it says she was forced to stay behind, detained in the room where the meeting had taken place by a member of Lizzo's security detailed, referred to as Robo. Molly Gordon, the special tour's co-manager, demanded Ms. Davis let Robo rifle through her files on Ms. Davis's phone and her iCloud while Ms. Gordon watched, even though Ms. Davis had already explained she had deleted the recording days earlier. Ms. Davis was told she was not allowed to leave until her phone had been searched. Ms. Davis was scared and wanted nothing more than to leave the area, and therefore assented to her phone being searched. A thorough search confirmed Ms. Davis's assertion that she had already deleted the recording from her phone. And like, I don't care if it was on her phone still or not. I, I mean, I'm glad, I guess that says something about her integrity, that it, it wasn't on her phone anymore, that she did delete it, so she wasn't just trying to use it to, like, extort Lizzo or something, but, like, even if it was still on her phone, you just don't have a right to do that. You can maybe take some legal action against her if you say that she recorded you without your knowledge, and you happen to be in, like, a state at the time where that matters, but at that point, you just don't have a right to go through someone else's phone and delete things from their phone or look at things in their phone, even if they're your employee. Like, that's just, that's no. No. And you can't physically confine someone to any sort of space. Like, especially at this point, she'd already been fucking fired. She doesn't even fucking work for that company anymore. She should be able to just leave. Like, really, like, legally, she would have been able to just leave. But she was obviously very intimidated at the time. Maybe not even in terms of, like you know, the law or whatever. I, I don't know how convinced she was that what was happening was legal. 
maybe she was completely aware that they were holding her against her will and that it wasn't lawful in any sort of way, but she might have even just been intimidated physically at that point. Like, she might have been worried about her physical safety. And no amount of, like, privacy violation of she recorded me without my consent justifies that, morally or legally. So that's the false imprisonment claim. I don't know why that one isn't getting as much discussion publicly as, like, she might have implied her dancer needed to lose weight. Like, again, I get it from, like, a branding perspective and from how it it conflicts with Lizzo's public image, but, like, she's being accused of false imprisonment. It kind of feels like a bigger deal. And so then it says, After finally being released from her confinement, Ms. Davis hurried to her hotel room, packed her things, met up with Ms. Rodriguez, and left for the airport. Their flights did not leave for another seven hours, but the two were afraid that Lizzo, Ms. Quigley, or someone at Lizzo's direction might return with the intent to further confront or even hurt them. Like, what the fuck? How fucking bad were these conditions that they were working in for so long that they thought that even, like, Shirlene or just someone at Lizzo's direction might find them and try to hurt them? Like, what? And you could maybe say, like, okay, well, just because they they were afraid of that, that doesn't mean that that was actually going to happen, and that doesn't mean that there was any reason for them to be afraid of it. But even people who weren't a part of this lawsuit have come forward and said pretty much, like, yeah, this has been my experience working with Lizzo. And that's the thing that's so extra damning to me, is that even if you want to make this argument that these women just, they want money or they're too sensitive or something and that's why they're filing this lawsuit, first of all, it is such a pain in the ass to file a lawsuit, and especially against someone as powerful and rich and famous as Lizzo. Like, there's just no reason for these women to go to that trouble if they didn't have, like, legitimate reason to be pissed off and to be scared and to need some sort of compensation for what they went through. So I already... I hate the fucking thing of, like, oh, people just file lawsuits because they want money. It's like, no, it actually, like, costs a lot of money to file a lawsuit, especially when the person or the entity that you're going up against is a lot richer than you are. Like, you're probably just going to lose money, to be honest, when all is said and done, when it comes to, like, attorney's fees and stuff. And the risk that you could lose because Lizzo is hiring a super powerful and very successful attorney to defend her. I think the fact that they have taken this risk in the first place already kind of gives some merit to their accusations because they have so, so much to lose from doing this and very, very little to gain. But then even outside of that, other dancers who worked for Lizzo are pretty much corroborating these women's stories. So one of her dancers, her former dancers, Courtney Holenquest, she um, responded with an Instagram story. She says, for clarification, I'm not a part of the lawsuit, but this was very much my experience, my time there. Big shout out to the dancers who had the courage to bring this to light. Then Lizzo's former creative director, so not even a dancer, but like someone who had a higher position in Lizzo's creative team, Quinn Whitney Wilson then shared Courtney's Instagram story by reposting that note and then writing on her own story, 
Echoing what Courtney said, I haven't been a part of that world for around three years for a reason. I very much applaud the dancer's courage to bring this to light, and I grieve parts of my own experience. I'd appreciate space to understand my feelings. And then... Sophie Nolly Allison, who is a director who was supposed to direct the HBO Love Lizzo documentary, posted on her Instagram story, or maybe it was her Twitter, I don't remember which, but she posted on social media, I usually do not comment on anything pop culture related, but in 2019, I traveled a bit with Lizzo to be the director of her documentary. I walked away after about two weeks. I was treated with such disrespect by her. I witnessed how arrogant, self-centered, and unkind she is. I was not protected and was thrown into a shitty situation with little support. My spirit said to run as fast as you fucking can and I'm so grateful I trusted my gut. I felt gaslit and was deeply hurt, but I've healed. Reading these reports made me realize how dangerous of a situation it was. This kind of abuse of power happens far too often. Much love and support to the dancers. She then followed up by saying, To be clear, since I've spoken out, I've had others privately share their very similar experiences, and I have also been affirmed by people who witnessed what I went through. Lizzo creates an extremely toxic and hostile working environment and undermines the work, labor, and authority of other black and brown women in the process. Notice how the documentary ended up being directed by a cis white man. She is a narcissistic bully and has built her brand off of lies. I was excited to support and protect a black woman through this documentary process, but quickly learned her image and message was a curated facade. I stand with the dancers and anyone who has had similar experiences working with her and her team. These working conditions are not okay. And so I saw this response before I actually read the um, lawsuit, and this to me was kind of just what sold me on the fact that Lizzo is probably just a piece of shit. Because not only were her own employees coming out against her, but someone who wasn't even like directly a part of her team, who just was working with her and was working on a documentary about her, even she's like, no, this woman fucking sucks. And that to me is so astounding because how bad of a person do you have to be that you feel comfortable being shitty to the person who's making a documentary about you? I'll go back to the thing I said about, like, the security guard and her harassment of him. Like, why wouldn't you want these people to be on your side? Why wouldn't you be extra nice to them? Not even for the sake of just being a good person, though that should be reason enough, but also just for, like, your own self-preservation. If there's anyone I want on my side, it's the people who are paid to protect me and the people who are making media about me. And the fact, too, that this happened within two weeks of Sophia working on that project? Like, what? This isn't even like a slow burn kind of buildup of passive-aggressive things. This is like, within two weeks, she was like, oh, fuck, I gotta get out of here. And good for her. I'm glad that she did. But wow, that must have been a rough environment for her to scare off a filmmaker who went into that situation wanting to portray her in a good light within about two weeks. So now speaking of that documentary, Love Lizzo, which is on HBO if you want to watch it, there was apparently a lawsuit involved in that documentary as well 
from 14 of Lizzo's dancers. 14 dancers, by the way, that do not involve the three people currently suing her. So this is all surrounding a short segment in in the documentary where they're rehearsing for, I think, the um, 2019 VMAs. And the dancers are just having a meeting where they're talking about their experience being like a, a female plus-sized black dancer. So they're, they're being very vulnerable and they're talking about, you know, something that's very personal to them. And they did not know that they were being filmed for a documentary. From how I understand it, from this write-up that the LA Times did, they did know that cameras were there, but I don't think they knew what it was being used for because at the time they were under a union contract for the VMAs specifically, but they didn't have any sort of contract for this documentary. And I, I'm not really sure if the documentary was even like greenlit, if that was in the process of being made at the time. So they probably just thought that this was part of the cameras for like the VMAs or something. And because they were under that union contract with the VMAs, they would have had to sign off on the use of that footage. Whereas the documentary was seen as like non-union behind the scene footage that they they didn't have the rights to use without their consent. You know, like it, it basically just came down to that. They didn't know that the footage was being used for this documentary and they basically said through their manager, through their attorney, that they felt exploited by that footage being used without their knowledge or consent. And so obviously these allegations are not as severe as the ones made in the more recent lawsuit. And Lizzo's attorney did say that Lizzo had nothing to do with that decision to put the footage in, that she didn't know anything about it, which, you know, that could very well be true. But I do think it says something about the overall disregard for these dancers' feelings and their their right to their own bodies, really, and their own privacy and their own right to control their own publicity. If no one who was working on that documentary even thought to tell them that their footage was being used, there was just such a lack of consideration for these women that seems to be kind of a prevalent ongoing issue in in Lizzo's company and in her team. And again, like, lawsuits are such a pain in the ass that it's kind of a last resort for a lot of disputes. I find it hard to believe that all 14 of these dancers decided that their first thing that they were going to do to solve this issue was to file a lawsuit. I have to imagine that this issue of the footage being used in the documentary was brought up in some other way and that people were given an opportunity to compensate them prior to them filing a lawsuit. So the fact that it even got to that stage is pretty telling, especially when, I mean, it doesn't say that these are like former dancers of Lizzo's. It just says that 14 dancers. I don't think it's outside the realm of possibilities that some of those dancers were still working with her when the lawsuit was filed. So for them to decide to enter a legal dispute with their own employer, I think probably says something about the relationship. But we're probably never going to get that many details into that situation because eventually they all settled and signed confidentiality agreements in February of this year. So, you know, that's kind of a, a done issue. But since this new lawsuit has been filed... 
the plaintiff's attorneys have stated that they've been contacted by at least six other people who worked with Lizzo, six other dancers, I believe, who worked with Lizzo, who have some statements to make and may even be added to the lawsuit. So it says, Some of the claims we are reviewing involve allegations of a sexually charged environment and failure to pay employees and may be actionable, but it is too soon to say. So yeah, this is still an ongoing story. Uh, Lizzo has denied the allegations, so I'll just read her um, Twitter, Twitter statement, or no, not Twitter, sorry, Instagram. She said, these last few days have been gut-wrenchingly difficult and overwhelmingly disappointing. My work ethic, morals, and respectfulness have been questioned. My character has been criticized. Usually I choose not to respond to false allegations, but these are as unbelievable as they sound and too outrageous to not be addressed. These sensationalized stories are coming from former employees who have already publicly admitted that they were told their behavior on tour was inappropriate and unprofessional. As an artist, I have always been very passionate about what I do. I take my music and my performances seriously because at the end of the day, I only want to put out the best art that represents me and my fans. With passion comes hard work and high standards. Sometimes I have to make hard decisions, but it's never my intention to make anyone feel uncomfortable or like they aren't valued as an important part of the team. I am not here to be looked at as a victim, but I also know that I am not the villain that people in the media have portrayed me to be in these last few days. I am very open with my sexuality and expressing myself, but I cannot accept or allow people to use that openness to make me out to be something that I am not. There is nothing I take more seriously than the respect we deserve as women in the world. I know what it feels like to be body shamed on a daily basis and would absolutely never criticize or terminate an employee because of their weight. I'm hurt, but I will not let the good work I've done in the world be overshadowed by this. I want to thank everyone who has reached out in support and lifted me up during this difficult time. So a couple things in this, uh in this post. Um, number one, the fact that she says uh, they've already publicly admitted that they were told that their behavior on tour was inappropriate and unprofessional. Like, yeah, okay, they were told that, but according to them, they weren't told what they did that was unprofessional. Like, they said that they were accused of that with no sort of specificities. And so to me, if I'm seeing this as they were being told this stuff just so that, you know, if something like this happened, that they could go back and say, like, oh, well, you were told you were being unprofessional. That's why you were fired. You know, it just it seems like that was something that was said to them in an effort to get ahead of any sort of like lawsuit that they could have filed for unjust termination or whatever or something like this, like that in the way that it's set up in the lawsuit already seems like they were being told potential reasons for their termination that were kind of bullshit as a defense mechanism. And so Lizzo bringing it up here in her own defense doesn't look great to me. Because you can say that they were told their behavior was unprofessional and inappropriate all you want. I don't know what what they did. And according to them, neither do they. And then to say the thing about I am very open with my sexuality and expressing myself, it's like, it, it sounds like when 
someone gets accused of sexual assault or rape and then they try to cover that by saying, no, I was just engaged in a consensual BDSM relationship or something, you know? Like the defense that I think Marilyn Manson gave and then another defense that I think Army Hammer gave at some point. It's a way to be like, oh no, I'm not a rapist, I'm just kinky and you're taking some of my my fetishes out of context or something, you know? like. You can be into BDSM and not not assault people. Many people are into BDSM and have never been accused of rape or assault. And you also can be very open with your sexuality and expressing yourself and not drag your dancers to a strip club and make them touch people's breasts when they don't want to. They're just kind of separate things. So that was just like a super gross response, in my opinion. And overall, as you can just see here, she doesn't cop to anything. She doesn't take any accountability for anything, including things that I I think almost certainly happened. I mean, you can kind of get around the the fat phobia thing and say that oh no, she she inferred that in a in a way I didn't intend or whatever. But the stuff with like Shirlene seems pretty in line with her overall behavior that has been pretty public for a while. And then the stuff with the banana bar escapades, like girl, we have footage of you talking about going to the banana bar. And presumably, there's gonna be other people who can corroborate those claims because it wasn't just like you and Ariana and any of the other plaintiffs in a room alone. It's not just their word against yours. Like there are other people who seem like they are probably gonna be willing to corroborate. I mean, you never know. Maybe she can get people who still work with her, and she has. She There was, like, a whole thing with some of her current dancers saying, like, no, we love Lizzo. She's the best. She would never do anything wrong, which, of course, they're going to fucking say that because they still work for you. But, like, these people who were at the banana bar, I, I don't know that all those people are siding with you. You definitely seem to have made quite a few fucking enemies, and you've been sued by 14 of your dancers before. So you're getting pretty fucking cocky here by just calling these allegations outright false when other people very well may just say like, no, that's a lie, that that stuff did happen, and Lizzo's kind of a weirdo. I think it would have been like a much safer thing for her to do from like a PR standpoint to just say, you know, sometimes I get carried away, you know? I mean, it, it wouldn't make what she did better. But I think she could probably get away with just saying, like, I'm so sorry. I, I really didn't mean to make anyone uncomfortable. I, I got caught up in the moment. I thought I was helping Ariana explore herself by getting her to touch the boob. I thought that that would be, like, a good experience for her. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. Like, there's a way out of this where you are mitigating the damage done to your brand. And that that's not the way that she's taking currently. Which is uh, kind of nice in a way, because it's like, all right, well, at least we don't have to bullshit this and act like you're sorry when you're not. But I do think it speaks to her being so far up her own ass and so sure that she's just going to get away with shit that she doesn't even consider just saying you're sorry and saving face. And then so on top of that, not only did she make this response... She has had her attorney, Marty Singer, who if you if you don't know, Marty Singer has represented many a bad people, including uh, Bill Cosby, Danny Masterson, Charlie Sheen. 
He also has been um, making statements on behalf of Jonah Hill ever since the, the abuse allegations with him came out. So Marty Singer represented a lot of bad men who have been accused specifically of doing bad things to women. Now, granted, he's also represented plenty of other people. He actually, he represents Kim Kardashian, who, you know, whether or not you like Kim Kardashian overall as a public figure, he has done a lot in relation specifically to stopping her um, her sex tape from being kind of like re-released. And, and, you know, that's nice. The sex tape was a huge violation of her privacy. So he's on the right side of history with that one. And he's also represented like Zoe Deschanel and something else like completely unrelated to anything like that. Like he represents just celebrities in general. And he is very, very, you know, esteemed in the industry to a degree. Like he knows what he's doing. He's a good attorney. So I think there's an argument to be made that Lizzo is hiring him not because she is also a sexual deviant who has abused and harassed women, but just because he's a good attorney. And yeah, I get I get that. But from, again, like a PR standpoint, bad move. Doesn't make you look very good. And you know what else doesn't make you look good? Filing a fucking countersuit, which is what she's doing. She's countersuing these women so that, you know, they'll just shut up. Like, that is what it is, you know? And maybe we'll see what happens with the countersuit. Maybe there are claims in there that change my mind about certain things. But this just seems like a very clear intimidation tactic to me. And already the way that Marty Singer is publicly talking about these allegations is not inspiring any sort of confidence for me in Lizzo because it is, it's literally just all like just photos of the dancers at the um, cabaret show in France where they're smiling with the cabaret performers and being like, oh, you didn't look like you were uncomfortable. You didn't look like you were being sexually harassed, which is such victim blaming nonsense in the first place. But also, even for that specific instance, they do say in the lawsuit, like, yeah, the cabaret performance wasn't that bad. We were just upset about the fact that we weren't told that that's what we were going to. So, yeah, sure, maybe they were smiling in the photos with the cabaret performers because they did appreciate the show, like, as a show, and they they admired the performers. But that doesn't change the fact that they would have liked to have been told prior what they were going to. The fact that they are smiling in those photos is completely irrelevant, as is the audition tape that Ariana made for Lizzo when she was trying to get on the tour that Marty Singer is now referencing and being like, well, you praised Lizzo in the video, so what now? Couldn't, couldn't have been harassed by her, couldn't have been intimidated by her in any sort of way if one time in an audition tape you were nice about her. And by the way, this audition tape wasn't even for the, the show or anything that she was on. This was after she had already gotten the show and performed with Lizzo on like the Bonnaroo stage. And then she had to do another audition tape to, to keep her job like on the tour or something. I don't know. It was after she had already worked with Lizzo for like a little bit that she did the audition tape. And so that's why Marty Singer is like, oh, you already had experiences with her and yet you you stayed. It, it is just kind of like a if you were so abused, why didn't you leave, sort of thing. But as Ariana has responded already, she just wanted to keep her job. And she said that she just hadn't even processed yet how abusive the situation was. So, you know, her explanation makes sense to me. 
But I also would just like to know why she had to submit an audition tape in the first place. Like, again, I don't know that much about that industry and like what the the experiences of a dancer, but she already danced with Lizzo. I, why did she have to audition again? Wouldn't Lizzo know if she's like a good dancer? What? I don't know. I don't get it. It seems like Lizzo's just putting her employees in a constant state of like begging to keep their jobs. But so that's that's it for now. Um, we'll see what else happens. I don't know how closely I'll follow this situation. I mean, I'll I'll follow it just personally. I don't know if. I'll make, like, a whole lot of updates on it unless bigger stuff happens. We'll see. For now, uh, fuck Lizzo. All right, bye. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to get on here really quick and say God is so, so good. God loves you so, 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 so much. No matter what you're going through, even if you don't love him, he loves you. Glory to God.